Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. Oh, it's semantics. It's not a guitar. It's a cello. It's a cello. Triton, have you conquered the great alpha male yet? This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity, and I don't give a damn! Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 36. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. On this episode, we're talking about the month that is May 2005, leading up to Hard Justice 2005. I'm Gar Kidney, and I am joined by Mr. Sore Hands, Liam Jones. That's my name. Don't wear it out like my sore hands. Yeah, you've worn out your sore hands, and that is not what you want people to do with your name, because if they wear it out, people will get tired of it. But people could never get tired of you, Liam. Well, we'll test that theory. We're 36 episodes deep. We've already thoroughly tested that theory. <laughs> like, all of our audio together, like 200. And we do long episodes, so... Don't we know it. If people were sick of you, if you had in fact worn out Liam Jones as a, a market concept... I think we would have long since run everybody away, but all our best friends are here listening to us. And all of those cheap bastards as well. Ah, God, foot cramp. Why am I... Why? <laughs> Instant karma for calling our poor listeners cheap bastards. Yeah, you you're the one who called them poor. Struck down. It is the foot crampus is taking you down, actually. Yeah, my own hubris. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm amped. Let's talk about all the wrestling stuff that happened this week. Garrett, what was your favorite story? What? Is, has anything interesting happened in wrestling this week? There's all the CM Punk stuff. Get it? Because, because we're recording this in advance, you see. Oh, yeah, because we're, we're like uh, uh, two weeks away from when this goes up. Actually, we're already, we're already about a week away from when this goes up. But uh, So, Cole, what's going to happen at Revol... What happened at... Uh, did, oh, yeah, let's do a Revolution review, Garrett. Wow, it was a good show. Can't believe that happened. Yeah, it's crazy how like it had not much hype going in, but then the pay per view was really, really good. Mm. It's just you know what a what a unique concept. Crazy that Jay White showed up, hey? Eh? <laughs> the cobium is real. <laughs> ah, so you're a youth. Mm, I know the young people words. Mm-hmm. Desperately clinging to the last vestiges of my youth, which have been long since gone. If I'm honest with myself, and frankly, we're never there. If I'm even more honest with myself. An old soul. Well, I always have been, if I'm honest. What was your favorite match at Revolution? I liked Jungle Boy and Christian. Yeah? Which, as of recording, has not actually been announced for Revolution yet, but I have faith. <laughs> I, my favorite bit was when 
CM Punk came back with FTR and beat up the Elite after the House of Black match. Whoa, all their tweeting makes sense! If, if that happens now, I'm gonna look so cool. Anything else going on in your world? I'm a communist now. Oh good, welcome to the team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, everything evolves dead, so there has to be more communists on the network. Yeah, we all live in the legacy of Aaron Taub. Mm-hmm. We all aspire to be as good a presenters as the Aarons. Yeah, love you, AT and AB. Um, <laughs> you've, you've really picked a side. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Clearly, I'm an AT. I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron. Other Aaron. It's like I'm a Ken Kidney guy. Indeed. Get out of here, Ed. Ken will pop for that. Ed does also listen to the show, so Ed will not pop That's, for that. <laughs> I know. I've, I, cho- I chose my side yonks ago. Fair enough. That's been my day. I had two wrestling dreams recently. Oh, we were talking about wrestling dreams on the watch along. And it's then funny that I had back-to-back nights of wrestling dreams. After you saying you haven't had many wrestling dreams, so you obviously willed it into existence. Yeah, so the first one is that I was offered the role of Excalibur in the AEW Fight Forever video game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why can't Excalibur play the role of Excalibur in the AEW Fight Forever video game? And it was like, he's busy. So They were like, people have seen the old PWG tapes. <laughs> yeah, he's been cancelled, actually, so we can't do it. So you it's have to do it. cancelled again. I, I think that one was triggered by the end of the, I think it was Lockdown Watch Along, where I did the outro in one breath, and I was like, Excalibur-like, and then that clearly mm. placed that in my brain, that I can clearly do an Excalibur, and then my brain was like, hey, you want that job in the video game? Yeah, you can, quick, read the revolution card, go. <laughs> no. And <laughs> mm-hmm. then my, my second dream was that me and Yuji Nagata committed some sort of cyber heist. See? I, I was telling you how about all my dreams are about tax evasion. Mm, that we did like some Mission Impossible heist to steal like a hard drive from a data center. And then I was all like super worried about it. And then Hiroki Goto was there and he was like, no, I love Ibushi. And I was like, what does Ibushi have to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> what? What a, what a twist in this tale. Yeah, and I was like so worried and sweating about it. And then Nagata was like, don't worry, I'll pay off the guy with the, with the security tape. And then he came back with the security tape. And like, Yuji Nagata, you're a base criminal. Why couldn't we have just done that before? Wow, you really are going into the youth movement here. Mm, I realized I've come across too old on this podcast. We've done actually some focus mm. testing. We've done some dials. We're going to make it hip. And it's like, Garrett comes across as too old. So he has to drop in base and pog and <laughs> and whatever the other one is, copium. So that he can... He comes across as younger and more on Liam's level. Yeah, yeah. Let's do a census. Mm. Let's get a focus group in and see how we can evolve and change the show. (laughs) We'll see how the communist arc goes. Yeah, yeah, we'll see see how that goes. I'm three chapters in now, so... Whether or not the listeners are pro our communism approach or con our communism approach. Con-communism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got him. Yep. So those are my dreams. Me and Yuji Nagata committing cyber crimes together. Apparently he's really good at it. And I'm like a, a super rookie who's like, oh, we're gonna get caught! Like how you still called yourself a super rookie, though. You're going for that Bron Breaker spot. Compared to, to Yuji Nagata, I am very young. Justice. And that's a triple crown champion you're talking about. Yeah. Which is modern and current wrestling news. Mm. I'm also slightly sick, so that's gone for me too. Oh. And when we originally had this podcast scheduled, I wasn't sick. So. <laughs> oh my god. But I was. Yeah, that is a problem. So what a, what a twist. It's alright, don't worry, this will be a nice breezy uh, episode where you won't have to talk much. There won't be a lot of news for you to run down <laughs> so and for me to go, hmm, haha, interesting, pog. 
this may be the first episode of the podcast where the news is going to be longer than the show rundowns. Which I think is what people are really here for. Because usually it's like one-third, two-thirds, I think, give or take, the show ratio of news to then breaking down what happened on the shows. And there mm. is so much news this month, and like, big news. Very important We're really news. painting ourselves into a corner, though, because now we've said that, somehow these three shows and a pay-per-view are going to end up going for 17 hours. I, we're like, like, when I was taking notes for the Gauntlet match from Hard Justice, there's like half a page worth of notes, so we'll be there forever being like, so-and-so came out, then so-and-so was eliminated, and I'm going to go through it all. I'm going to let you know Why? everybody who came out and was eliminated <laughs> in that match. What? Why? <laughs> It's actually a pretty good, well put together gauntlet, but we'll get to that. But also, why? Uh, nobody's died between recordings. That's a plus. We can't say that, Gareth. There's a week still. <laughs> That's true. We'll have to edit it in in post if somebody does we're die. We're going to look really insensitive now. Yeah, it'll turn out like Dixie will have died. <laughs> what the fuck? Don't put that out there in the world. No, I really shouldn't. I shouldn't just pick a name. Especially if you're right now. Yeah, then I'll see extra mean. And people, and like, you're going to get interviewed. <laughs> what did he know? Yeah, the what did he know meme. So we know memes. We're we're hip. Uh, My face will be on a bunch of YouTube thumbnails just saying, did he know? (laughs) What was he cooking? I hope it's just my Twitter profile picture as well. Mm. Just drawn by a a second year student of mine in the brief period I was teaching. Yeah, did you ever give any sort of monetary value to that secondary student? No, I didn't. (laughs) I I gave them the the invaluable value, some would say, (laughs) of knowledge. Mm. I don't know how that fits with my new communist ideologies, but I will <laughs> work it I out. will reflect and come back to it. Now, you could argue the fact that they weren't paying attention in my class and was instead drawing me <laughs> might suggest that I did not, in fact, impart much knowledge on them. But mm. you didn't grasp the attention. Nonetheless, it is what I was trying to do. Mm. So Maybe during this podcast, I'll draw a photo of you. Oh, thank you. It's funny, we were talking dreams. All my school dreams, which, you know, used to be like exams or going to school, switched to teaching dreams because of like six (laughs) months teaching. It's caused that much psychic damage on me. I never had like many school dreams set in school. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the least interesting topic in the world, which is dreams. But all of my dreams involved me and a, a, a gaggle of fellow students from my school on misadventures through different genres. Ooh, that sounds fun. A lot of time it was zombie or post-apocalyptic survival, and it was just me and, like, a certain, like, ten or so of my different schooling partners. Are you sure it's not just Australia? I mean, it's not far off. Oh, taken down the country of Australia. You know, you're you're really up on your pedestal. You need to be taken down a peg. Mm, With our 60th best internet in the world or whatever. Hey, we're, like, 30-something or whatever we looked that up. Oh, half. (laughs) Shout out to our best friends if you'd also like to tell us your dreams, both both literal and imaginative. Mm, I don't want imaginative. I want to know what your aspirations are. Give me your hopes and dreams. What do you want to do in life? Yeah. What do you want to achieve? What do our best friends want to do? That would actually be somewhat interesting. <laughs> if you would like to become a literal best friend, you can head to tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kiddingme, where you can subscribe and get access to multiple second shows, loads of them at this And day. us. And us. Direct access. <laughs> well, you can you can also tweet us or Discord us. Immediate contact. In fact, we're, we're probably least responsive to the people on the Patreon. We should fix that. <laughs> 
Why would you say that during the rundown? <laughs> but we will be more responsive. I'm very good at hard sells of the Patreon, Liam. Thank you very much. Mm. We have multiple shows, including our Global Force Wrestling show, including our 2010 Monday Night War show, including our Ring Cat King show, including our Global Force... I said Global Force. Including <laughs> our Wrestling Society X show, including our ongoing Rain Takers show, and including our ongoing Gorilla Radio show. So there all of that is sitting right there patreon.com slash getting me tnachat.com including watch alongs of the show we're going to talk about on this show hard justice 2005 and a bunch of other pay-per-views including a wrestlemania for some reason our drafts our awards there's so much content there is over 100 pieces of exclusive audio on patreon now which is insane that's so much exclusive audio right there tnachad.com patreon.com slash kidding me because we're recording this before the hard justice episodes goes out i don't know whether or not i have to do the larry the cable guy album yet Mm. we're currently seven patrons away i think from actually having to do that i don't know why he's saying we are that far away (laughs) but if we made that goal or maybe we'd extend it a little bit when this episode goes out just so this plug can maybe push it over the line you never know but i will review you just want to listen to it i know i know i desperately want to listen to the Larry the Cable Guy album. I really do. I really just want to get that right into my ears and and laugh and laugh and laugh. Garrett's saying right here, if it doubles and we get double that amount, he will do an audio review of the Raw that Larry the Cable Guy was special guest host for. Listen, if we get 150 patrons, damn right I'll do that. There you go. You You know you want that. I will personally re-record the Larry the Cable Guy album for our patrons. I wouldn't commit to that. <laughs> I'll be cancelled, but it's will be worthwhile. I haven't. I don't know. Is he a problematic comedian? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably. Are you just casting aspersions about Larry the Cable Guy without truly knowing? Yeah. I was also going to call him names, but stop myself. <laughs> well, that's nice of you. I've already said yeah. Dixie Card is going to die, so we've already made enough enemies on this podcast. I'm growing as a person. This is my character arc. It's only taking you to your mid-twenties, but you're, you're hitting a nice level of maturity. I'm proud yeah, of you. It's my new communist outlook. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the news for the month that is May 2005. A month that has, like, the hang of the company might die at any given moment over it. Mm, which, um... I haven't had for a little bit, so that's nice. Revisit a classic TNA note. Mm, And both the news and just, like, the general vibe of the TV. Because, like, all the stars disappear off TV. We'll talk about the various reasons some of them aren't there now as we go through the notes. But all of them are gone. The TV is just, like, there's actually nothing wrong with it. It's actually pretty easy to watch shows because it's 40 minutes in impact. So they're easy to watch shows. And with decent time for main events. Yeah, and they've suddenly decided to do real TV main events. Which I think we've always said is the best structure for Impact. Yeah, like I've, we were talking about this a little with Ring of Honor, which we haven't seen the debut show of as it stands. So we don't oh, know let's talk about the, the first Ring of Honor episode, Garrett. <laughs> what was your favourite match? So it's probably going to be Air Fox versus Claudio Castagnoli. <laughs> well, big aspersions cast against Blake Christian and Zack Sabre Jr. We were talking about like whether or not it would be structured as a, a real TV show. You know, the darks aren't structured as a real TV show. They're just matches. And mm. I'm interested to see whether or not, like, there's some angles to set up matches. Clearly, they shot them. But whether or not that, like, this has any concern for pacing or structure or backstage pre or backstage, features. you know, stuff that makes it flow. 
Yeah, all the stuff that turns, like, a show with matches into a real television show. And, like, Impact's a real television show, but it, it does occasionally veer into almost AW Dark territory, where it's just, like, Star comes out and squashes a jobber for 40 minutes of the 45-minute TV show. You get that. And I don't have Taz and Excalibur cutting a podcast during it to offset that. Mm. So, you see them, we talked a little in the lockdown episode how they were experimenting more with format, and I think that they're more and more striking on, it makes a lot more sense if we have like three decent meaty matches on these shows, and then a bunch of pre-tapes and a bunch of features to fill in the gap. And that's a decent way to format a 40-minute wrestling show, because when you have five matches, or even more sometimes on Impact, I think there's been like seven or eight on some of these shows, including the number of squashes, like there's no time for anything this is a 45 minute show so mm. you, you you have to have three decent matches that you can give like 10 minutes each there's there's 30 minutes of your runtime, and then fill in the rest with features and pre-tapes and that's that's about right for what this tv show should look like and that's what the tv show looked like for most of the month which thumbs up yeah it's been a a pleasant and easy run towards the death of the company <laughs> mm. As I said, it's just the vibe you get watching the shows. I, I can't really put my finger on what it is. Maybe it's like me bringing a little bias knowing like we are approaching one of the periods where the company was closest to the end. But well, And I found it interesting because you mentioned it and I didn't really pick up on it. Mm. I didn't pick up on like a general malaise of the shows or a feeling of dread didn't come across to me. But I did notice a shift. It was, but I to me, it, it felt like people trying to get shit back on track yeah it felt like people were especially on the pay-per-view it, it felt like everyone was going out there with a, a sense of urgency not necessarily in the matches but a sense of urgency and like let's put on a, a good show let's go out there and let's have as better as good of matches as we can so i definitely felt a shift in tone i just didn't know it was for the reasons it was for the reasons and we'll get into the reasons why for a moment. But first, a very sad story. We talked about the Chris Candido leg break uh, on the last episode in lockdown match. It was Candido and Lance Hoyt against Apollo and Sonny Siaki. He just did a, a regular ass bump for a regular ass leg lariat. And just his leg got caught underneath him and he broke his ankle. And then, sadly, days later, he died. So, four days after suffering a compound fracture in his ankle at the TNA Lockdown pay-per-view event, Chris Candido died. All preliminary indications are that he died of a blood clot. It was a freak injury, but it would ultimately cost him his life. He had uh, internal fixation surgery on his ankle the next day, with over 50 pins being placed in his leg to secure the compound fracture so that it would heal correctly. The next day, he showed up at the TNA TV tapings. He was at ringside in a wheelchair when the Naturals captured the NWA World Tag Team titles, which we'll talk about more when we're in the shows themselves. He was in great spirits backstage it had been a rough two days he was in excruciating pain at the hospital after a surgery on monday the doctors would not give him pain medication through his iv because of his history of drug addiction uh, a colleague at friend told him to ask for a patient advocate so he could explain that he was no longer using drugs he took the advice and then received pain medication he needed in the hour those hours after the surgery which seems like a real difficult dilemma, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like a, a hard choice to make, but I imagine when you're in that much pain, like, you you just, you have to. Yeah, because, like, for a guy that has a history of addiction, it, it, it's like, as you said, when you're in that much pain, you need it. But also, there, there is that honest question Slippery of, like, slope. where could it potentially go for a person who has a history of addiction? Mm. The day after the TNA TV tapings, he made a mistake that might have cost him his life. He flew home. After surgery such as this, leg elevation 
sedation is important and prolonged sitting is not recommended because it can lead to a blood clot in the region of the surgery. The clot can then embolize and lodge in the brain, lungs, heart or other area and cause instant death. Blood thinners are usually prescribed to lower the chances of such happening. Thursday night at the dinner table Candido collapsed, an ambulance was called and he was taken to the hospital and pronounced dead. Tammy Lynn Sitch's wife rushed to the hospital and received the tragic news. The word of his death spread through wrestling Thursday night as his friend Balls Bahoni began calling friends in wrestling. As the news became widespread, wrestlers began posting messages on their websites in tribute of Candido. It became clear quickly that Candido's head death hit the industry hard, harder than most. The overwhelming sentiment was how unfair it was that he died after his hard work to clean up his life. It was unfair that he died because of a freak accident in the ring, one which will haunt Sonny Siaki for the rest of his life. Unfair because Candido was seen as one of the good guys who would have been happy to have any role in the wrestling industry for the rest of his life. Unfair because he was such a good friend to so many people in wrestling, many of whom were barely hanging on to sobriety themselves. He was their good example. Some wrestlers have said they are inspired to make positive changes in their lives and dedicate their efforts to Candino's memory. So, as mentioned there, uh, he, like he struggled for years and years with addiction, probably cost him opportunities in his career. This is the moment he finally got clean, he finally got better, he's in a good spot where he's in an, an act that's clicking, he's finally like getting his career back on the road, and then just like a, an utter freak accident, like uh, the, the, the most run-of-the-mill spot. As I said, you would never in a million years think somebody could get injured to the degree that they might die from a leg lariat. It's just such a run-of-the-mill spot, you couldn't possibly think something like this could happen and then it does yeah you talk about it a lot in wrestling that a lot of the moves that end up really messing with people are the simplest spots and it's not like the super dangerous head drops or any or like the big moves off the top rope it's it's simple stuff it's rick rude hitting his leg it's yeah it's just it's the it's the simple things that uh get people a lot of the time next sort of shows how dangerous this sport is you know that things that we take for granted as easy to easy opening spots are when something happens and a freak accident occurs can be things that lead to such you know extreme results yeah that's the thing it's like it's it's not like the the fast-paced frenetic spot toward an end of a match this happened in the first minute of the match. It's just like opening exchanges, throw a leg lariat, leg gets caught under you, broken ankle. And even like, obviously no one would expect a death to come from a broken ankle. So there was a, an outpouring uh, uh, of support and memories of Chris Candido. Uh, Thursday night, Candido's brother, Johnny Candido, posted a message about the death of his brother to the usprowrestling.net message board. He wrote, I find it only fitting you hear the truth from me about the death of my best friend, brother, and soulmate. Chris died tonight due to a blood clot brought on by complications with the surgery. I just want to tell everyone that in their sorrow, find a way to be happy. That he went out the way he wanted to, on top of the world, blonde, tan, and loving life up until the last minute. Every ounce of my brother loved this sport, and for him to go out two or three years ago wouldn't have been a fitting end to the life of such a determined, passionate, and benevolent human being. I truly view my brother as an angel, as will all who knew him. Thanks to everyone for all your positive press, Chris went out a happy man and will forever live as one of the greatest of all time he would have had it no other way so then there, there is a, a thorough outs of like it, it's funny in the the like the pre-twitter age 
It's like, the, mm. I, I was reading like the PW Torch and there was a bunch of memorials to Chris Candido. And then I was like, why don't people do this anymore? And they do somewhat. Like the Wrestling Observer uh, obituaries will have quotes from people who knew them. But then I'm like, oh, because Twitter exists. So you, you don't have to go to, you know, Dory Funk Jr. or Jeff Jarrett or Mike Tanay or, or Abyss and be like, can we get a quote for you on Chris Candido? They'll just tweet them. Yeah, I was thinking about the exact same thing reading it. I was like, this just shows a, an, a difference in the time mm. that now that's everyone is so connected and so such a direct line to everyone now we mentioned message boards there a second ago that's where like the the real like deep in the weeds wrestling nerds would have been either been on or had uh, burner accounts on message boards to, to keep track of like what people were saying about them and to maybe even participate in what people were saying about them sometimes but that, that was the the pre-twitter age of everyone being like that just that's just the way we all engage with the internet now and the people that don't are the very very rare exception as opposed to back in these days when most people kind of lived separate to the internet as opposed to the people who were then growing up with it. Mm, it's all wrapped in one big bundle now. Like these would have been the first generation of internet wrestlers, which is kind of weird to think about, like the CM Punk Live Journal era. Yeah. So from the PW Tour, some quotes from, from wrestlers from Dory Funk Jr. Professional wrestling has lost a friend and superstar performer in Chris Candido. Chris was only 33 years old. He was an NWA world champion. I wrestled Chris in Japan in October of 1994. I will never forget how over he was with the Japanese people for his aggressive and daredevil style of wrestling. In the match, Chris performed his specialty at the time, the hurricane ran from the top rope. It was the pop of the night for the show. They loved him as did so many others. Uh, from Jeff Jarrett, his death has been a tragic loss for every one of us here at TNA. I knew Chris for a lot of years, dating back to the early 90s when they first broke in and Tammy would come to Memphis to wrestle. Everywhere I went during my career, Chris was always there and he never lost his love for the business. That's the one big thing I'll always remember about him. I got to see his career come full circle and it was an honor to have known such a good person. All of TNA's thoughts and prayers are with his family. Uh, from Mike Tanay, Chris Candido was so dedicated to professional wrestling that he lived his whole life to be a part of the business. He was thrilled that TNA had given him another chance to do what he loved. While I've known Chris for years, my fondest memories of him will be from this TNA run. He was excited to be a part of the roster of a national company again and was intrigued by the combination wrestler-manager role. He always had the respect of his peers. He will be missed, but never forgotten. Uh, from Abyss, in my opinion, the greatest shame of this tragedy is is that Chris Candido was one of the people of the business who recognized and identified his demons and addressed them before it was too late, only to be taken away from us far too soon. He overcame his demons and beat his demons. I saw Chris in Puerto Rico at times when he was battling those demons, but when I first saw him when he debuted in TNA several months ago, I could not believe it. Chris lost weight, got back in shape, refocused his attention to wrestling and working, and most importantly, Chris had beaten those demons that had touched his life. That is the mark of a true man and a real champion. Chris was and will continue to be an inspiration to me as well as many in wrestling today and tomorrow. And from Sonny Siaki, my thoughts and prayers go out to Tammy, his family, and his close friends. I didn't know Chris very well before TNA, but in the short time I knew him, I didn't realize how funny, well-respected, and what an all-around good person he was. Not only did I become a friend, I became a fan of his personality and his work. In the locker room, no matter what kind of mood you were in, he always found a way to make you laugh or smile. Chris, you made your family and friends proud because you changed your life for the better. I know you're in heaven smiling down on us. We miss you, and we'll see you soon. Take care, buddy. So some powerful testimonials to the man he was, uh, in the good times and bad, 
but especially the, like the personality and kind of the locker room leader he was. And it's it's one of those things that like Sonny Siaki was in no way at fault for even the injury, but it's probably one of those things that just still lives in the back of your mind for such a long time after, right? Oh, of course. Being uh, a part of some an incident like that, I can only imagine how traumatic that could be, especially when it's in your workplace in a place that you have to keep revisiting doing the same thing over and over again probably makes you really question your own place in the business i can only imagine how much um how many things have been going through sunny siaki's head at the time mm. so rest in peace with sandido we'll talk about him more on the shows themselves because uh he worked the tv tapings like the the, the, the he, uh, he broke his leg on the, the sunday he worked tv on the tuesday he died on the thursday and that impact aired on the friday so it's a very strange timeline of they aired that impact the day after he died and he's just there on the show in probably the most featured role he has ever been on the show yeah there's like there is a there's a macabre there's a a macabre element to that show where it's like the show that aired the day after he passed was the show where it felt like the character had clicked the most in company history Mm. and like for for most of his run he's been on the show for three minutes every week at best and then like the day after he died is the episode that he's all over it's like the show is built around chris candido of anything and it's just it, it's very weird how things like that work out yeah and then the, the act of the naturals had just felt so natural on that show it was it was crazy so we'll talk about that a little more when we get to the shows themselves uh, the other very big story this month all right, tonal shift. A big tonal shift. And it's kind of interesting to see it all like play out. You would have thought like the death of a wrestler and the death of a colleague might bring some like, I don't know, perspective to a lot of these people. But like, nah, there's still a bunch of petty behind the scenes bullshit going on. Yeah. So the big thing behind the scenes is a power struggle between the Jarrett's and the Carters. Shocked. <laughs> The basic gist is the characters have caught on that TNA was, in reality, a vehicle to make Jeff into a star. It hasn't worked. And the key is the characters want Jeff out as champion, AJ Styles in, Jeff doesn't want to do it, and Jerry is trying to rally people against it. Jeff has agreed, after a lot of prodding, to drop the title, but is trying to get a change from Styles. Jared's suggestion was Monty Brown. You son of a bitch. You absolute son of a bitch. (laughs) Because that would require a turn by Brown, because Brown's a heel and they're aligned in stories, that would be premature, although at one point the plan at lockdown was already to have Brown turn because there was super heat on roads for turning Brown heel in the first place. It would also require a new contract signing by Brown that may not happen, and a chase build-up which buys Jarrett a ton of time. Which, that's the key part here. He doesn't want to drop the belt to Monty. But he knows if they switch it from Styles to Monty, you have to go through this turn, you have to go through the build, and you have to go through the title change. So that's probably like three months minimum that buys time Jarrett as champion. And also he gets to beat AJ Styles again. Yeah, he finally gets his win back against AJ because AJ's beaten him for the title the two other times. Yeah. So you might be thinking, why is Jarrett so desperately clinging to the title? (laughs) Uh, You you know what? I'm not thinking that, actually. (laughs) Um... I have a pretty good interpretation from every other second of this company's history. But like, on a level above, you might think, it can't just be ego, right? He can't just be that desperate to hold on to the belt. 
One of the other big reasons he does want to keep the title is because in this moment, him and Jerry are seeking outside funding to buy out the Carters. They're trying to, to find somebody to, to back them, to buy out the Carter stake in the company and take the company back themselves. And they see the title as like a, a point of leverage in that conversation, where if Jeff is champion, no matter what happens, like, like Jeff will at least be a focused part of the show. Whereas if he's, uh. if he's not champion and this buyout either goes bad or goes the way they want even at least like they'll be able to basically punish him and easily slide him down the card because he won't be champion so they'll just be able to like solve that problem pretty easily the funniest thing about that is there's like a glaring sp- solution to all that which is just strip him and make a tna champion <laughs> <laughs> but they they don't want to do you don't want to have the guy hold the belt for 11 months and then not drop yeah it. like yeah you know you want to actually have him put someone over at the end of a reign of terror so that that is like the the the, the subtext to why Jarrett is so vehemently against dropping the title title right now because he wants to keep the title as leverage in those negotiations as he potentially seeks an outside buyer to buy out the carters yeah the office is divided as most of the people were hired by jeff but many are insistent it, the title change happens now and styles is the wrestler that the people buying the product see as the biggest star so she, he should be the one who gets it the hiring of frank dickerson seems to have sped up a process you cannot deal with frank dickerson's name <laughs> know what you're talking about i'm very much <laughs> that was inevitable we were just talking in the intro about how you you had reached a stage of good emotional maturity and you're still laughing at frank dickerson's name <laughs> dickerson his hiring sped up a process that was inevitable of the carters now wanting to get the big decision making power away from the jarrets the problem from the outside is the Jarrett's are wrestling people, both good and bad, and it also winds up that those in power want the spotlight kept on them and use their power for it, which is the consistent issue in the history of professional wrestling, that when wrestlers have power, wrestlers generally use that power to promote themselves positively. And you know what the problem is too? Mm. Even if they get their way and and they do have the Jarrett's out, uh, and they but they still need like a wrestling person to run the wrestling. Like their uh, their backup guy Dusty is currently in the midst of the entire roster not being into what Dusty's been doing. Mm. Though that's somewhat a mark against the Jarrett's as well, because Dusty was their guy, remember, especially Jerry's. So when they they took power away from Jeff and gave it to Dusty, Dusty not working out is kind of a mark against the Jarrett's because like Jeff didn't work out. They were like, all right, Jerry comes in. What about this Dusty guy? He's our he's our next solution. He'll be the guy that actually works out. And then when Dusty didn't work out, the Carters are like, so the Jarrett's didn't do a good job themselves. The guy they volunteered to replace Jeff also didn't do a good job. So what the fuck do these Jarrett guys know about wrestling? Mm, which means we find our own wrestling guy. And that is the thing. It's like, listen, you, you can be a little gatekeepy and like wrestling is an honest to goodness, extremely unique industry mm-hmm. that does, you can't come into wrestling from the outside and understand it from day one. You'll fall flat in your face because you, you do need like, like, like to be steeped in it, at least to some extent, so that you can understand how wrestlers work and you can understand how wrestling fans work. I, I really don't think it's the kind of thing you can be dropped into and then pick up instantly. You, you need some. Mm. You need some knowledge of. But also, there are hundreds of people who have that knowledge. Yeah, that's the thing. Like wrestling has been around a long time. Mm. There have been a lot of people who have been behind wrestling that you can get for this. This isn't. This isn't a role that is impossible to replace. 
and even within the company, like, you know, you tried Jarrett and Dutch, you tried Russo, you tried Dusty. It's like, there's loads of other people with tons of experience in this company. Give them a go. And that's ultimately what happens. But mm. the idea of like, let's get the Jarretts out. Oh, the guy that we had to replace the Jarretts, we also have to get out. Mm. <laughs> we have to find a new one. It is worth noting, it, it's not just the characters that turn on Dusty, but Dusty begins increasingly ramping up the fact that Jeff has to drop the title, and then the Jarretts turn on Dusty too. <laughs> yeah, it's just a complete civil war breaking out. While Dusty has heat from everyone on every side, it seems, there is also the feeling of late Jerry has been trying to make sure Dusty doesn't succeed, like coming up with the lockdown concept that couldn't help but burn out Stips. And there, there is like more conspiracy theories that the Jarretts are actively trying to sabotage the company to reduce its value so they get it on the cheap when they try to buy it. That seems very Jarrett. Mm. So this does come to a head, even if you didn't have the little power struggle between the characters and the Jarrett's, which push comes to shove, characters and majority shareholders, they win that power struggle. Like, yeah. the, the only reason they won't is if the Jarrett's kind of like politically maneuver their way in there so that like ousting the Jarrett's would be a, a, a politically unpopular move that might like sabotage the whole company. But if it's like, us or them, Jarrett's, you're out of here. Yeah, and also it's like, it's not like the Jarrett's have been particularly liked the whole time either. No. Uh, Just days before the Hard Justice pay-per-view, Dusty Rhodes was removed as Booker from TNA. Rhodes officially resigned on May 10th when he showed up for a booking meeting in Nashville, saw Jeremy Borash, Bill Banks, and Scott Demore there, and was told by Dixie Carter they were going to book by committee from this point forward. Yeah, shout out to Dixie for like being like, nah, we're doing this shit now. Yeah, and like, the weird thing is, a lot of it was like second guessing of AJ? Interesting. Like, one of the things they were like, we do want to get the belt off Jarrett. Everybody agrees about that, except Jarrett. (laughs) And then the question was like, okay, who's going to win the belt? And Dusty is like, oh, it's AJ. We we told the story, we built it up, he's winning the belt at Hard Justice. And then there was like, is it AJ? To which I would be like, are you are you not looking at the, like the the reaction in front of your face? Because it's one yeah. it's one of those things where like there is that deep preconceived notion of what is a star in pro wrestling that has been like burned into people's brains over fifty years of U.S. wrestling that a guy like AJ can't be a star. And then you actually watch their television show where he has the best matches and gets the best reactions and is clearly the guy the audience sees as a star over... He's also maybe the most marketable guy. Yeah, he's a young, good-looking guy who can, who can work like a million bucks. And, like, the, the big knock against him is he really can't talk. He can't. He's really bad. And the thing is, like, he can't talk, he can't promo, but I feel like in any sort of outside media, like, he can carry, a, like, a regular conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... He can be, like, the face in front of media, even if he can't cut a promo to the wrestling audience. And if you are a booker that is supposed to be good at your job, your job is not to be like, he can't talk. Your job is to be like, he has all these other things going for him. Let's make that the focus point, because that's what bookers are meant to do! They're not meant to find problems in their wrestlers, Liam. They're meant to hide those problems and make the strengths look good! This is from staunch Paul Heyman fan, Garrett Kidd. But, like, people always attribute that to Paul Heyman like it's some fucking brilliant genius. Like, it's this brilliant idea that, like, you hide the bad things and you accentuate the good things. And everyone's like, oh, he's a visionary. He's seeing wrestling like no one has ever. It's like, that's fucking common sense! It's the most basic principle. It's like, if a wrestler does something bad, don't make them do it. It's like... 
Yeah. What are we doing? Why is this industry so stupid? Why are we looking at AJ Styles and looking at the things that are wrong with him? Instead of looking at the fact that he's like the only guy in this company that gets a real honest-to-goodness emotional reaction out of that audience. Yeah, I'm guessing that these problems that they view with AJ lead to some of the things that come up in the next few months. Mm. Ultimately, why his title reign doesn't end up being very long. Yeah, so like he gets it and he gets the moment, but they quickly fall back on their misgivings with AJ Styles as world champion. I will say, at least the man they chose to beat him is like the most interesting choice. He may be a year past that choice, but he's still there and we can give it a shot. And you've been hooting at hollering at his pay-per-view matches for two months now, so you, you know what? It's going well for Raven. Yeah, I think the problem with Raven is that he, he should have been a face beating Jeff Jarrett for this title mm. heading into TV, but, you know, we can't wallow in it forever, I guess. Or we can, it's a TNA show, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, we're meant to sit here and think about how Jarrett held that belt for 11 months and defended it against everybody, mm. but did not come near defending it against Raven. If, if we are... Not In 40 episodes, if we aren't still crying about Monty Brown, I want people to call us out. And like the other guy we can cry about is Raven, because he should have beaten Jarrett for the belt in 03 in the biggest match in company history, and then that's a match they never ran back. They had Jeff Jarrett as a heel champion for 11 months, and never once thought, what about him, what about Raven? They barely even have Raven on TV. Yeah. Like, he always shows up for the pay-per-views, and they 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 clearly see him as a big enough guy that he needs to be on the pay-per-views. Mm. But it feels like they just side-eye him when it comes to TV. Which is weird, because the TV isn't very good. Maybe, and I, like, I do think part of it is, like, they don't want to book the expensive acts on TV right now, because they have no money. Which is why the TV ultimately ends up being full of, like, the, the exhibition guys for the most part, and none of the stars for the most part. And, and Buck Quatermain. And Buck Quatermain, the star, the true star of TNA in 2005 so far. But I, I do think it's, like, alright, these guys are expensive. We can at least justify the cost when people are paying us $35 or whatever it is on pay-per-view. Whereas on TV, we're gotten, we're the, the marginal revenue being brought in from these guys that being on TV is negligible, if not nothing. So that's the reason we're fine yeah. putting them on pay-per-view, but we're not so much hot in putting them on TV right now. But also then, how do you have real stars? Mm. So Rhodes went to that meeting and they were told they were putting together the pay-per-view and the subsequent TVs. Rhodes were like, decisions have been done for all that. But they went to talk about what to do with the NWA title. Rhodes said there was nothing to discuss, that AJ Styles was going over for the championship at Hard Justice. Carter said they needed to debate the pros and cons of Styles as champion and rethink that decision, which I just think is madness when you look at your product. How, how do you do? How do you? Like, this is off the back of the lockdown main event where, like, the dude had a fucking killer match with Abyss and seemed like a huge star and then you're like, is he the guy? <laughs> hmm. I, w- I would love to sneak into Dixie Carter's 2005 mind mm. and just see where her trepidation is. Uh, you'd wonder, because like, it's not like he hasn't been champ. He's been champ twice. Yeah. And it's not like you have a, a, a bunch of options, one of whom you've already fucked and the other of whom you've already fucked and you're still going to run with him. But <laughs> I don't know. My only guess is that in their head, they're like, we have this TV situation mm. that's quite fluid at the moment. And despite AJ being the best homegrown guy, he isn't an ex-WWE name. And perhaps while dealing with TV negotiations, having someone like Raven, who is a name, being on top will look better. Yeah. I'm not like advocating for this choice, but I'm just playing, I guess I am playing devil's advocate a little bit. I'm just sort of presenting what a a theory could have been at the time. 
I do feel like that's a, a trap this company constantly falls in. And I think it's a trap a lot of companies constantly fall in, where it's like, they're they're too stuck in the sense that the people who are real stars are the people from the company that's up north. That, like, does have much larger visibility, and, like, more people know who the stars in that company are than the stars from yours. But at the same time, when you, like, sit down in front of TV executives, and they're like, why should we put you on television? There is an element of, like, well, look at the names we have. And, like, even if they, like, I'm not, I'm sure, like, Joe Smo TV Guide isn't like, oh, yes, Raven, I know him from WWE Velocity. <laughs> but if you can go into that interview and be like, this is our champion, Raven. He was a guy in WWF. He was a guy in WCW. He was a guy in all these major uh, national companies in, in the US. So, like, you can you can explain it away and you can probably um even blow it up a bit and make it feel bigger at the time and say he was a major star in WCW and he was a big star in WWF like because they don't know the difference you know what I mean mm. so it, it probably helps having a name like that as your champion in those kind of meetings because you can you can just accentuate the fact that like this guy has been places and that's why people are going to be interested in our TV product if if you sign us over whereas with an AJ Styles you can you can, you can go through all the things before that we said where he's like oh he's young and he's dynamic and he's blah 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 but you you don't have the and here is the star power aspect to back it up. At the same time, though, like when you go down to sit down with those TV executives, you have the tape. It's not like you're, you're pitching something blind. It's like you can be like, here's the most awesome one minute highlight reel of AJ Styles you've ever seen in your life. The only thing I, I say to that, though, is like you can still show them that tape and say this is one of our top young guys that we're gonna that we're making a big focus on the television show and doesn't necessarily need to be the champion for that same is true of raven and anybody else we're using raven as a stand in here <laughs> because raven was really the only other option yeah at the moment everyone else is gone like ddp and nash are out so <laughs> yeah this is sean waltman he was a part of two of the biggest factions of all time it's true you should put the belt on him actually he could have gotten worse than putting the belt on waltman yeah but though the whole utterly unreliable thing is probably an issue yeah, but the TV guys don't know that. <laughs> I think the TV guys would even know that. It's like, isn't he the, the unreliable guy? And this is Jeff Hardy. He's, <laughs> he's a massive star. Because it would probably be Jeff, right? If he didn't no-show this pay-per-view. So. Yeah, it's like Jeff and Raven and AJ. They're your three big options. And Double J's still there. <laughs> well, well, that's clearly a non-starter at this point. Or should I say a non-carter? Oh! Hmm. I was very proud of that. Well done. So Mike Tanay, who lives in Vegas and was not at the meeting, is also believed to be a key person on the new committee. We'll have the details on the committee in a minute. Jeff Jarrett won't be on the new committee, but of course he will have input, and Jeremy Warish is closely aligned with him. Ah, oh, JB. He's always been a Jarrett guy, come on. I know. It said that all major creative decisions will have to be approved by an executive committee, which will likely be Dixie and new TNA CEO Frank Dickerson. Ha! As noted here, Rhodes' days have been numbered as Booker for a variety of issues, and in the company's plans for a new committee, he wasn't part of it. But was Terry Funk on the on the committee? Yeah, but only a name. <laughs> mm. it, it is interesting that they're not like, and I, I think part of it is they probably know Dusty probably can't play with others very well at this stage, especially when being ousted as head Booker, but... Yeah. The plan is for Rhodes, who is under contract, to remain as a television character doing the director of authority role with the same salary and perhaps wrestling again. With the makeup of the new committee, it's doubtful that would happen, except on rare occasions. Uh, we don't have to do the remember when for Dusty yet, 
He is on the TV building to Slammiversary, but he is done after that. Remember when D's not. <laughs> oh, don't don't waste the best material. Sorry, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blow the high spots. Rhodes had few allies early as Jerry Jarrett, who originally backed him, had changed sides because Rhodes at first booked with little input from anybody and then wanted Jeff to lose the title. So you put Dusty in charge and Dusty's like, I'm gonna do my thing, Daddy, and then he's like, he's doing his thing, Daddy. <laughs> what's what's going on here? <laughs> Mike <laughs> Jeff is literally like, he's doing his thing, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and he does want to lose the Jeff, so they turned on him. And then he didn't have enough allies to survive then, so he's out. Uh, should we do a, a remember when for the, the Dusty Roads booking run? I guess we should, in that I think we did a large amounts of it the last episode, but he had some good pay-per-views at the start with some, some of the best matches in company history, in fairness to him, which probably mm. had very little to do with him, <laughs> I think is ultimately what it comes down to. This is talent that can take bro- uh, breadcrumbs and turn it into something beautiful. Mm. So, like, you give them anything, and they'll you t- give them an inch, they'll take a mile. You know what I mean? In the good sense, I guess. Yeah. That's a term, a turn of phrase that's normally used for negatives, but in this way, I think it's you know it's a positive. And I get the impression with Dusty that he also maybe was into it, but didn't see it as like a giant thing either. Mm. He maybe thought he was a little big for this. And it's just clear. I don't think he had an eye for what wrestling was in the TV era. It's like I think mm. like he's used to booking territories, he's used to, he's used to booking regional wrestling. But like television wrestling's a different beast. It's a different animal with different priorities and 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 built differently and constructed differently. And I just don't think he had the the mind for like intricately again what we were talking about earlier. It's like laying out an actual television show, not just putting some matches together, not just uh, here's your pay per view matches and we might do an angle or two. It's like the like actual structure of a one hour television show. How's it going to be paced? How's, how are people supposed to feel? How are we going to get the the right people on the show with the right amount? What's the main event? Like what is an actual main event of a pro wrestling TV show? It's it's not 1980. You can't just throw a useless match on top a a tv show needs a main event it can't just be apollo versus kid cash it can't it just can't be that match but it's something you saw change this month yeah i just don't think he had the the mind for that or or like the 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 booking inclination for that could structure a pay-per-view like a like a pro though Mm. that's one thing he could handle the big shows and put them on in a compelling order and knew when to put aj on top even over the title and knew when the title match not necessarily that it was a title match, but like the title feud didn't need to be the top thing. Yeah, because he made good, bold choices about Triple X, AMW, and Styles and Abyss main eventing those shows, which were both far and away the, the correct calls. And they, again, it's the kind of thing that seems like an easy call in hindsight, but like Randy Savage made a to turning point in theory. Like, like you're like, we're not going to main event with Macho Man. <laughs> we're going to main event with these four yeah. TNA guys. That's a call that took some balls, and it was the right one. And even like Lockdown, it's like, we're not going to main event with DDP and, and Jared and Monty and Waltman were going to main event with, again, the two homegrown guys and the, the much better match. And again, right call. So yeah, it's it's not a total failure. We talked last month, his big success stories are probably AJ and particularly Daniels. I think Daniels is his biggest success story. Someone who's definitely come out on the other end. Yeah. Looking better than he was at the start of uh, the booking period. Um, and I think a part of that is is he isn't necessarily a wrestler who is pigeonholed into the X division. Mm. Like he, he had, He's kind of a, a full package at this point. And I imagine Dusty saw that and was like, this is a guy I can work with. Yeah, and that's like the, the weird paradox of Dusty's regime where it's like, there's tons of X Division matches on TV, but also he clearly hates them. <laughs> so it's like, 
it's that weird thing where like the X Division was scaled back. You lost Sanjay for a while. You've lost Shelly in the last few months. There, there's less of the good X Division wrestlers on TV. Obviously, Cash was fired, but they've also formed the backbone of his TV. But also, he very clearly does not care for them whatsoever. It's like, like that weird thing. Yeah. But he likes Styles and Daniels. So yeah, that's Dusty's run. It's it's more complicated than Dutch and Jeff, which was terribly boring. I'm just remembering that I forgot to do a remember when for Kid Cash. No, because he's back. We agreed we'd do it when he finishes his ah, 2011 yes. run. Yes. <laughs> very fitting when I've forgotten everything that he's done. <laughs> You're like, remember when he like was uncomfortably violent with Trinity? Yeah. That's the one that will stick in your mind. That and when he beat up old people. Mm. So Rhodes was not popular with the wrestlers. He wasn't popular with the people who originally put him in place. And they ousted him. He's done. He's out of there. Yeah. It's the end of the Dusty Rhodes booking regime. Long live the dawn of Scott Damore and committee. Yeah, so they're like, hey, your pals fight Delta Slam. Get him out of here. Hell yeah. Also, Dustin Rhodes was done because he was arrested for domestic violence two weeks earlier. So a lot went against Dusty all at once. Yeah, all of Dusty's chickens came home to roost. In addition, Jerry Jarrett has been courting a new backer believed to be the multimillionaire who backed a disastrous Randy Savage CD. He's like, he knows how to sink money into shit that don't work. <laughs> that is the ideal quality you want from a TNA owner. I believe they refer to them as money marks. He had come up at various times over the years as a potential TNA backer. Jarrett was attempting to use him to buy out Bob Carter's majority interests, and the new backer would put Jerry in full control. The fact money has been tight of late, with many people being paid for two shows instead of three when they did the triple tapings make people, makes people question the Carter's long-term. Others feel they are in it for the long haul, believing they think once they get a good television time slot, which the company has lost $20 million since the Carter's took over financial backing, they could then be profitable. The longer they can stall out the title <laughs> loss, the better the chance they believe they can be in complete control. Let me just do a 2002 to 2023 conversion. Because I want to know, like I feel, right, mm. if I was given this money, I could make it work. Well, it's 20 million over three years. 20 million, three years. Okay, I can't find a good conversion here. But I, I'd imagine a large part of that was like startup costs when they were spending money like they were a real company and then very quickly realized they weren't. Uh, <laughs> and that is an estimate from Dave. That's not an official number, but it's probably not far off. Oh, sorry, I have to write 2022. It won't allow 2023 conversion. So 33 million. I could make it work. You, you plopped 33 million right now? Yeah, so um, guy who dumped all the money into the Randy Savage CD, come at me with $33 million, I'll make it work. You'll launch a competitive number two company in a wrestling space? Oh, okay. I'll dump a two. Do you think you actually could have in 2002? 2002. I think I would have... I think I would have... I could... Listen. I don't want to say I would have done better, mm. but I think I would have had... Well, I was also five, but I think I would have had... <laughs> A like with 2023 Liam getting transported back. Mm. I would have had a simpler approach where it would have been TV. It would have been filmed from one area. What what TV, what network are you going on? What if it takes me, baby? Okay. I, I'm doing I'm doing meetings. <laughs> I got 33 million to to play with. I could get us a year on TV. You probably could, yeah. And then you know the problem is the lack of stars. Mm. But I would poach so hard from Ring of Honor. <laughs> Still not stars. I know, not stars, but th people I can build around. Even, like, 2002 Ring of Honor doesn't have a lot of those. It has, like, Danielson and Loki. I, I get Jerry Lynn. He's my guy. Mm -hmm. I do the best I can. I make, I make it... I think that the biggest thing is, going in, it is a staunchly different presentation to just kind of being WWE light. Yeah. 
That would be my my focus point first of all. It would also be wow, Mister. You go into all the TV meetings with Raven front and center is now like oh. No, but listen. If I have a guy like Raven, I don't have Raven in two thousand and two. Okay, you don't have anybody. That's the problem. You don't have. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks coming hot in the prime of their careers from New Japan. Mm. You don't have, like, even a star like Chris Jericho, who is the perfect mix of can still go and has substantial star power to get you off the ground. You don't have that in 2002. That's not available to you. The best you have is, like, Randy Savage and Lex Luger and Sting, maybe. You may, you can maybe get Sting. Sting is my, my ace. Mm. I, I dump all extra money that I can into getting Sting locked up. He's the focus. And then, you know, we get we get our AJs and we build up. But that's the best you got at the time. Because I, I do think that's ultimately, like, you, you can book a better company at a company that probably loses less money faster. But the the ultimate, like, hurdle... And then you survive until we start cutting some W guys that you want. <laughs> and that's the key. Yeah, the ultimate hurdle in 2002 is the talent. We talked about it at the time. It really is, like... I can survive until Raven. Like, like not only is there a lack of stars out there, but all the young guys are young. Like, real young. Even Danielson, even Loki, even Styles, they're all young. They're they're yeah. very raw. They're not the complete performers they would be. Like, 05 is a good time to step in because there's a decent level of star there and all these young guys are now three years more experienced and pretty polished. Honestly, yeah. If, if, if this company had started in 05, probably would have been in a, a better position. Whereas 02 is a, it's a bleak landscape when it comes to talent. Mm. My goal is like survive until i can get the next big guy and then i can bring him in and make him real hot for six months and then i can get the next big guy so you're like survive to get the raven survive to get the d-lo uh, survive to get to jeff hardy jared jared yeah i mean i can, listen if i'm in control I'm, I'm bringing jared in but he's only getting like three months <laughs> and he's putting over sting and then yeah you survive until the next guy and you survive until you can get christian you just survive until you can get rhino and then that's basically with like sting as your your major ace figure throughout the whole run mm. listen they're clamoring for a tw series <laughs> yeah as we hinted at the start we're doing some bulk recording for a little while so maybe after that we'll start the tw series my god video content oh on the patreon a level above i've uh, to peel the curtains back briefly i have been like planning on a tw series but the mod that i want to do isn't out yet <laughs> so which one is it it's um 2004 Ah, so we can take over TNA and fix it. Yeah, that would be the idea. Or we can do a, a one. Uh, we can do a competitive one or something. I don't know. If you have TEW ideas, send us TEW ideas. If it involves a draft, it'll be high priority. <laughs> you can get Liam to do anything with a draft. It's not far off. The company at the Hard Justice Payview in Orlando introduced the new booking team as head booker Scott Demore and assistants Mike Tanay, Dutch Mantel, Bill Banks, and Jeremy Borash. Uh, Dutch got his way in. Yeah, well, like he's he should be a voice in the room. Listen, I'm just saying he got his way in after them saying that uh, they didn't think Dutch was going to be part of mm. it. Terry Taylor is not on the booking team, but it is believed he will have input because he's tight with Demore. The, the pay-per-view show and first set of TVs were written before Tanay and Mantel were added to the committee, although Tanay had considerable influence on late changes to both shows. The group worked together all weekend and laid out a general direction for the company for the next three months. As noted before, TNA's big problems are a lack of visibility, which in turn leads to an inability to create stars even with talented workers. They are also limited to stars with prior exposure on top, who the public believes are the real deal. Booking has had its issues during most of the company's three-year tenure but booking is far from the only problem it appears with the booking change there will be a lot of turns tag teams teasing being split up and new additions to the roster as well as people being eliminated oh my god Russo's back 
But it, it's the classic thing. It's like when Triple H took over, it's just like, you're a face now, you're a heel now, tag team. It's like that kind of like reshuffle the board the way I want it kind of thing. Yeah. One of the signs it's like, oh, finger on the pulse. At least these people are looking at the right thing. The new booking team is interested in getting Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe and CM Punk. <laughs> oh my God, I did take over. Joe is a probable because definite ideas have been discussed for him. Never going to happen. Yeah, never. Uh, Punk's off the table. He signs with WWE the month after. And also, bad relationship. Yeah, they went south there with the old CM Punk. Danielson's an interesting one in that he never, ever, ever worked TNA. Even in the early days. Like, the Briscoes worked TNA in the early days. But Danielson didn't. Chris Hero did explosions. Yeah, literally everybody else came through the doors at one stage or another of TNA. And Brian Danielson didn't. But there was discussions about it. We saw that in, like, the second year. Mm. His name got bandied about. And his name is getting bandied about here. And you'd have to think, as a guy trained by Shawn Michaels and extremely tight with William Regal, WWE had to have been his endgame all along, right? Well, he was essentially signed as, like, a developmental guy before that was a thing, right? Mm. Like, when he went to Shawn's thing, that was, like, a essentially what would become a developmental contract. Him and Spanky had that, I think. And it took him another, like, seven, eight years to finally get there. Also, uh, another booking note from Liam. Mm. I would have signed Paul London. (laughs) He worked for the WWE? At the start. Oh, right, when he was, like, five. Yeah, when I get my 33 million. When he was the same age as you in 2002. Oh, I'm bringing him in. Him and AJ. (laughs) My top two future babyface stars. Your aces? No, Sting's my ace, come on. And then Paul London beats Sting? It'd probably be Raven beating Sting. Mm. Sting holds the title all the way through. That's assuming he can get Sting, by the way. I'm getting him. Okay, I I have 33 million, and he's the one star I need. I'm not giving Jarrett, like, insane money. I'm not, like, I'm not giving Hole insane money. It's all going (laughs) to Sting. You back up, like, five of your 33 million to... Yeah, like, whatever it takes. Sting! Yeah. Like, we talked about it when he would show up at the, the Asylum shows. When Sting was there, it was a different energy. Mm. It's not like, as we talked about constantly, it's like every time it's like when they wanted a pay-per-view main event, it's always Sting they wanted. It's not a case of them not wanting Sting. It's of Sting being like, no, thank you. They had already spent their capital. I have mine at the start. But you wouldn't have Jerry. The only reason Sting did TNA was because he felt he owed the, fa- the favor to Jerry. Who says I wouldn't have brought Jerry on the booking committee? <laughs> Just to get Sting? Yeah. So yeah, they want Joe, Danielson, and Punk. But they, they get Joe. Spoiler. What the hell? <laughs> Gail Kim was backstage at the TNA tapings. The plan is to use her jazz and Molly Holly. We'll have to change her name after her non-compete. Uh, if the TV show goes to two hours, uh, not every week, but as semi-regulars. So keep that in mind um, with Gail Kim the, in particular. The knockouts. The beginning of the knockouts division with Gail in particular and jazz in like 2021. Yeah, the real women's revolution. Uh, there was a, a bunch of issues about whether or not TNA would allow the ECW wrestlers to appear on one night stand. Dixie ultimately said no because it wasn't in the best interests of her company to make that happen, which I kind of get. You want to protect the value of your talent, but also like if you have Raven in a prominent role. And you desperately need exposure. Yeah, if you put Raven in a prominent role on that ECW show, it's probably good for you. But then there's always like well, the will they poach him and then that kind of shite well again if it's me Mm. (laughs) which apparently it is it's like you get them on those shows but with like heavy creative influence vince is never giving that to you well then they're not going on the show but i don't look like a coward okay like i come out of it looking better because i was willing to do it like especially with my talent oh your talent as a booker no my talent (laughs) as in my pro wrestlers that i own Rhodes did an interview the day after quitting his booker and said, well, quitting, he was replaced. He did the classic, <laughs> you can't fire me, I quit. Well, yeah, because in the first like story, it was he resigned on that day and it's like, no, you were kicked out. Yeah, you resigned after you went into the room and realized you were being replaced. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I don't have a lot of time to deal with something I don't really believe in. 
Who said this? <laughs> the American Dream's Dusty Rhodes. No, I said this. I said that I felt he didn't believe in it. Mm. He got molten heat from some people in TNA for that line. I'm not going to battle with a committee of people that don't have the same vision that I do. It's not me being a dictator. That's not it. I use people's ideas. But at the end, it's my movie. It's going to be my movie. And nobody else is going to direct it. I'm not going to sit here in this committee, collect my paycheck daddy, and keep my mouth shut. I'm too old for that. Well, I can't got a quote directly from Tony Khan for the site. Uh, he was also negative about TNA running house shows. Yeah, well, that's great. And, uh, the word is that if he does not carry on as a TV character, that Larry Zbysko would likely replace him in the authority figure role. Larry Z. So that is like the, the messy power struggle. <laughs> And that Dusty's out, mm. Scott Demore is Booker, with a booking team that does not involve Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, ousted as champion, looking to buy out the company, probably in a little bit of a tenuous relationship with Dixie Carter at the moment. And everyone's sniping, but ultimately Demore's got the book and Demore wants to bring in good wrestlers. This is why I've always been positive about Scott Demore. Never had a bad word. <laughs> it is, like, when, when it's like the first thing coming out, and maybe it is a little bit, let's leak, we want the good wrestlers. So people on the internet are like, oh, they want the good wrestlers. Maybe this will be the one. But when you are like, like we want Brian Daniels and Samoa Joe and CM Punk out of the 2005 wrestling scene. It's like, all right, they're 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 picking the right names. Which was always our problem. Like early on, was like we felt like they were going the wrong direction. Mm. And especially like, as we mentioned, under Dusty, it's like less and less of the good wrestlers were showing up on the show. Yeah, and a lot of his son. <laughs> Oh, we don't have to worry about that for a bit. TNA reached terms with Tito Ortiz, one of the most charismatic UFC fighters ever to be part of the May 15th Hard Justice pay-per-view. His role at the pay-per-view as a special referee was announced at the Impact tapings. Ortiz is currently in the midst of a contract dispute with the UFC as the two sides have been unable to come to terms with money. Uh, Ortiz apparently wanted $350,000 per fight. Ortiz has long been seen as a potential star in pro wrestling based on his boisterous personality, marketable look, gift of the gab, and athleticism, says the PW Torch. While... I like the way it's like, I don't co-sign that statement about Tito Ortiz. <laughs> While Kevin Shamrock and Dan Severn worked as pro wrestlers before experiencing success in UFC, Ortiz would be the biggest name to move from UFC to pro wrestling for the first time, should he eventually actually get involved in wrestling an actual match, rather than just acting as an enforcer referee. He's a wrestling fan, he's visited WWE events, he was at WrestleMania 19 and marveled at Brock Lesnar's shooting star that almost killed him, and has expressed interest in getting into wrestling someday. Uh, this did extend to, he did an appearance on Jimmy Kimmel which I did look for but I couldn't find hmm. but where he did plug hard justice but then said the show was on Fox Sports so you, you, you give it then you take it the way Tito Ortiz thanks Jim but listen you got TNA mentioned on Kimmel so you uh, you a big Tito Ortiz fan Liam? Uh, no you co-sign his politics? Uh, uh, no as a staunch communist uh, no <laughs> yeah I do believe Tito Ortiz would be diametrically opposed to your communist position yeah are you a fan of Tito Ortiz as a performer? Um, in wrestling or as a fighter? both like compiled into one? <laughs> well the, the separate but you could pile them into one if you like I mean he was a dynamic fighter <laughs> that helped shape the industry and was one of the first MMA stars in the US you know part of that whole crew of guys with Shamrock and Chuck Liddell like, it became part of the era that uh, preceded your GSPs and your BJ Pens, which really started to break through another another whole level um, before you would eventually get to your heavyweights and then Lesnar kind of blew it all up. But, you know, like I, I think like he would be a slam dunk MMA Hall of Fame guy, mm. specifically a UFC Hall of Fame guy. I don't know if the MMA Hall of Fame would be slightly askew to it, but yeah, you know, gigantic star, influential figure, <laughs> not a great fella 
Not at all. As far as a talent in his industry, sort of uh, someone you can't deny. And in fairness to TNA, in 2005, he's a hot act. Yeah. There's a reason he can actually debate contract status with UFC at this point. It's a rare instance of TNA actually bringing in a guy who's maybe not quite at the peak of his star power at this stage, but close enough to it. Yeah, it's, it's not far off. This this was, like, the era. Because mm. this is still pre-Ultimate Fighter, isn't it? Please. Because that's when it really blew up. Yeah. That was... Ultimate Fighter was the thing that, like, blew up UFC into the next level. And not only that, it was the savior of the company. Mm. Like, Ultimate Fighter was the thing that like, saved a, a UFC that was about to die. Wish it never happened. You know, you, you actually you wanted to happen because a lot of these MMA dudes would probably be pro wrestlers otherwise. Probably be pretty good ones, though. Mm. <laughs> that is, Garrett Kinney advocating for everything that Conor McGregor has ever done. Mm. His national hero. So yeah, we'll talk more about Ortiz when we get into the shows themselves. Uh, Monty Brown, Dallas Page, Dustin Rhodes, and Sean Waltman wrestled at the pay-per-view lockdown, but did not participate in the TV taping two nights later. Waltman was backstage at the TV tapings when he read over the TV format sheet in the afternoon and realized he wasn't booked for the show. He wasn't pleased. He did stay around for the rest of the evening, though, wandering around and socializing with many wrestlers. There's no word yet on why Dustin, Page, and Brown weren't used. Monty, contract dispute. DP, cost-cutting. Dustin, domestic violence dispute yeah like you're still paying waltman if he's at the tapings right probably i'm not sure how that works so just like find a spot for him just, you put him on the show have him work a nice little tv match especially when you have like a, such a scaled back roster for these tvs yeah just check him in a random singles so, yeah or even put him in the, the fake battle royal Dustin was arrested for uh, having a domestic violence dispute with his girlfriend at the Doubletree Hotel, so he was not at the show because he was in jail. And Monty's contract is up in July, so they're coming toward an impasse where he didn't work TVs. The uh, the abyss problem. Mm. Uh, and in this stage, like there's surely interest from WWE, but we'll talk about that in the coming months. So, so a, f- a fun name, which I don't know how often we'll hear in our show history, but um, he hired Barry Bloom as his agent. Oh, yeah. A very important wrestling figure. I think we'll hear the name Barry Bloom a few times on the show. <laughs> oh, no. No! <laughs> From Monty not potentially signing to people actually signing some new deals, TNA announced that Styles and Daniels had both signed long-term three-year contract renewals. Styles had been considered a candidate that jumped to WWE when his TNA contract expired this summer. Well, that's good news for both of them. Yeah, so for all the doom and gloom, they at the very least had the, the, the considerable common sense to sign their two hottest acts to long-term deals, which at least, again, it's one of those things that probably engenders a little bit of confidence in the company. They're like, these are our hot young guys. We're signing them to three-year deals. Kid Cash seed. <laughs> he probably is. He's like, how dare they give AJ what he wants? So there's three pretty big stories going on at the moment. We talked about Candido. We talked about the, the big power struggle and booking changes. And then there is the undercurrent of all that, which is the television negotiations. Which we kind of touched on a little bit. So TNA's contract with Fox Sportsnet expires at the end of May, and TNA may choose not to renew it. As reported here two weeks ago, this is in the torch, TNA management has said that they would be making a major announcement regarding its TV future this month, and WGN and Spike were the leading candidates for the new home of TNA. Uh, TNA would prefer to end up on Spike, but with FSN insisting on a six-month contract that would lock TNA in on FSN through the end of November, preventing them from instantly switching to Spike after WWE's contract expires in October. If TNA were to reach a deal with WGN, they would end up running Monday nights, not live, 
or I think what, what it ended up being set a lot was actually the model they ran in 2010, which is live one night, tape the night after. First hour would be unopposed and the second hour would go head to head with Raw. WGN has almost no built-in audience relative to Spike. It's mostly, uh, it carries a bunch of like Chicago sports in particular. It's not a particularly strong national station, even if it is available nationally, but it's a big station in Chicago because I think it had the Chicago sports. But if TNA signed with WGN, they could move to Monday nights as soon as June. TNA could also renew with FSN and bypass the jump to WGN entirely. The Spike's situation appears to be up to spike not tna which is said to be intrigued but cautious about acquiring tna to replace WWE this fall spike had stopped negotiations with tna until ufc until this ufc deal was finalized and announced last week spike's about to have a, a big old boost yeah because obviously the ufc and ultimate fighter it's a, a huge boost to spike but they're losing WWE, which is a bigger outlet than both Oh yeah, these they're, they're trading in a surefire thing for some risky properties. Yeah, but probably risky properties at a much lower cost. Yeah, and one that will pay off tremendously. So yeah, the, the way this dynamic is working, they want Spike. They're not sure can they get Spike, but they want Spike. Listen, we, we all want Spike, okay? They would be fine with staying on FSN until they get Spike. The issue being FSN want a minimum six-month contract, whereas TNA wanted a month-to-month commitment. Because TNA did not want a situation where if they got Spike, they couldn't seamlessly go on Spike the week the WWE contract expired. Which would be also great optics for them. Yeah, because that's the way you'd want to do it, right? Because obviously WWE would have an exclusivity clause, so they couldn't go on Spike before that. But the second the WWE contract expires, that week you want to be on Spike. And uh, the way it turns out, they actually end up putting them in the velocity slot, so that it's right in the time slot of where WWE viewers would have regularly watched, which is like really smart. But that, that's that's like the seamless transition they wanted. So if they signed the six-month contract with FSN, that would have taken them through November and taken that off the table. So that FSN contract, even though they obviously wanted to stay on TV rather than not, that's untenable. They can't do it. So FSN's gone. That's potentially TV being gone. And then the other player there is WGN, which the intriguing part of it is that if it is WGN, it would have been a Monday Night War. They would have gotten absolutely Mm. fucking slaughtered. (laughs) But... Yeah. I don't know why people think that's the solution to all their problems. Because when you think about, like, the level of star power and TV exposure they had when they tried in 2010 was, like, 7 million times bigger than it was here in 2005. I mean, it forced fucking vincent brett to make up yeah just to compete with it but they're thinking here in 05 with no stars and barely any tv exposure they can just drop themselves on mondays and go head to head with raw or head to head with at least the the first hour of raw listen i don't think they think they can do it i think they hope that they can get something out of it before they move time slots again Mm. Apparently, uh, as mentioned in the last episode, that's a big thing that Jarrett's wanted. They wanted that Monday Night War. They thought it was the right idea. And we talked about that last time. It's stupid. There's a reason. You know, Dixie Carter right. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Dave writes about this as if it's, like, close to a done thing. He's like, oh, you know, we're one step away and likely a few weeks away from having a second edition of the Monday Night Wars. And he's only, it's actually five years away, Dave, as it turned out. Mm. Classic Dave Meltzer L. Am I right? Yeah. But contracts have not been signed. Nor a deal verbally closed, but a final decision on TV is almost surely going to be made within a week or two. And it turns out they they not go ahead with this. We'll talk about more in June. Obviously, we know where they end up. They end up on Spike. But what? The the big spoiler. They end up on Spike TV. You might have heard of it. Isn't it crazy that a little reflection here mm-hmm. in this one and a half hour bullshit that we're almost at the Spike era? Yeah, we're we're in May. Spike starts in October. Out of the asylum onto the Fox Sport, and now boom. Spike. We're crushing this. The the big bet TNA had... Oh, you just mean us? 
Yeah, I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about TNA. Banging through this history of TNA? Yeah. We're going to be up to 2023 in no time. Then things are going to get real awkward. <laughs> As I mentioned before, the main reason that we, we went month by month instead of like show by show or something is that like I just wanted to get through those asylum years into like the, the good years of TNA as quickly as we could. Yeah, mainly because you were worried I was going to lose interest. <laughs> Then you'd have the, you know, immeasurable task of replacing I'd never replace you. I'd stop the podcast without you. Oh my god. Liam's like, is, is that a promise? <laughs> oh, okay, I have an out. Much like Jeff Jarrett as champion, I now have negotiation lever- leverage. <laughs> just put the NWA title on you. Oh, if you buy me the NWA title, I'll do this forever. <laughs> so TNA's big bet is that while Spike are like, we don't actually want wrestling, TNA are like, wrestling and MMA go really well together and we think they really do want wrestling. <laughs> Hey, we just have Tito Ortiz. So but that actually might be the reason they, they are bringing in Tito. They'll be like, look, Spike, we have some MMA guys. Well, we always knew that, like, Jarrett had an interest in interacting with UFC. He is double J, double MMA. Like, well, yes. But, like, also we've just, we've seen that in previous notes. Mm. So it's like, there was clearly always, he thought there was potential for crossover. UFC even considered it at one point, I believe. But then we're like, no. So that's always been kind of a an idea. And we got a little taste of it. Mm. And we get a bit more. MMA and TNA have kind of always had hands in each other's pockets. Well, yeah, because we talk about Spike and MMA and TNA, we'll get to it very long, far down the line at this stage, but where TNA becomes essentially like the, the marketing vehicle for Bellator at first. Yeah, I remember that's where I first heard of Bellator. Mm. So on the topic of TV deals, TNA signed an agreement with ESPN Star Sports in India to air TNA programming across Asia. The deal calls for weekly broadcasts of Impact Explosion and archive specials while offering monthly pay-per-view offerings. Or C. Venkatesh of ESPN Software India PVT Limited said, Viewer interest in professional wrestling has been on the rise in India. TNA Wrestling is a leading wrestling property and is popular all over the world. With big names and a very innovative format, it is bound to catch the viewer's imagination. Everyone is been trying to break into India <laughs> for decades. This moment is the beginning of Ring King when you think about it. Ring King. Well, the, the thing is, the, the, the thing people very quickly realize is there's a lot of interest in India, but not a lot of money. Mm. So everyone's trying to work that problem out. And that a lot of linear eyeballs. There is so many linear eyeballs, but very few linear dollars <laughs> coming out of India. Yeah. And that, that, that's the issue. It's like, there's a billion people there and they watch all our content. But also we make no money off of them watching our content. Unless you get decent TV deals, which TNA ended up getting. And Ring to King. Kevin Nash is in China filming a movie for another month, but had expressed interest in having a creative booking role with the company when he returned. There is no indication that that is the plan, though. Put him on the committee. I included this because obviously Nash isn't around right now during the moment when Dusty is taken out. You're making it act like it's a a murder. (laughs) Dixie put a hit out on the American dream. She's like, take him. In a way. But uh, I include this because it's interesting to think, if Nash was around, he probably would have been a candidate, right? Yeah, for sure. What movie was he filming? Uh, I have no idea. Check his IMDb in like 2005-2006. Alright, you you keep talking. But like, as a guy who did have experience booking WCW, disastrous experience, terrible experience, he was really bad at it. Self-admitted at times, too. (laughs) Yeah, but he does have experience. And to be fair, everyone that booked WCW had disastrous experience, and that didn't stop them from giving Vince Russo a job. So it wouldn't stop them from giving Kev a job as the booker either. So I I would be interested if if there was the alternate reality again, where Liam stares into his alternate reality superpower and sees the world where if Kevin Nash is actually around backstage at the moment, 
Is he at least on the committee, maybe leading the committee? Who knows? And obviously, like, the Torch Talk interview is very much, let's take Dusty down, I want the book. <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> That's <laughs> That was, like, the, the undercurrent of what he was trying to do there last month. It's a pretty safe bet that the movie he was filming was the 2006 release DOA Dead or Alive. Oh, we should watch that for the Patreon. <laughs> we should do, like, a full Big Kev filmography review. The Kev respect. Yeah. Much longest yard grandma's boy doa punisher oh the punisher of course uh, river of darkness no, no. <laughs> almighty thor monster brawl rock of ages magic mike john wick magic mike double xl he's had a real weird acting career uh slaw which seems to be a saw parody because like he never broke through but also he's had like consistent work in decent level films yeah he's in fucking john mm-hmm. wick well, what do you want from the man see him in clippers Watch the movie Chick Fight, COVID-19 Invasion, nope. followed by Dog, nope. followed by Magic Mike's Last Dance in theaters now. There has been talk of Antonio Inoki being interested in buying TNA since it would give him the controlling rights to the NWA titles. I'm sorry, wait, what? <laughs> since part of Inoki still lives in the 70s, that's far more valuable to him than it is to most. How much money do you think Inoki would be willing to dump into this? So apparently the main thing he wanted was the NWA. So, like, like shortly after this, there's another note in The Observer that through Dave Marquez, he made a proposal to buy the NWA from member promoters in the US, and he was voted down in the end. So, like, th- this is not, like, just a pie-in-the-sky Observer note, like, like the Rock one was a few months ago, yeah, <laughs> where it's just, yeah. like, a thing that happened, and, like, Dave followed up on that, I think, last month, being like, there has been no further talks between The Rock and TNA. No shit, Dave. But <laughs> this is one of those things where, like, Inoki seemed to have a flight of fancy, and seemed to, to fancy himself buying the NWA so he made like an actual proposal to buy it from the, the, the actual NWA but of course he wouldn't get the titles with that or it's at least unclear whether he'd get the titles with that because TNA have a, a long-term lease on the titles so then he was like buy TNA too? Yeah New Japan of America. The original New Japan of America. I'm, don't you send me COVID invasion screenshots I'm not looking at them. <laughs> Please uh, just the, the the part of the trailer that happened to play at the same time. Originally, I was just going to post send you the poster, but then that was the, that was what was playing at the same time. I absolutely refuse to look at anything <laughs> related to that movie. I don't even think Kev's in it much. I think it's a lie. He's on the poster. So Antonio Inoki could potentially buy TNA again. My alternate reality powers, mm, where he ousts Jeff Jarrett, just walks into the building, slaps him, and he never comes back. Now for the most devastating news. Uh, read the follow-up. T- TNA TV wrestler Lex Lovett has announced he will be retiring from wrestling with his final match on June 10th at the Jeff Peterson Cup in Brandon, Florida against AJ Styles. With an immediate follow-up that he's only retiring for Florida indie wrestling. Wait a minute. <laughs> he told TNA officials that he'd still do job duty for them as needed. The belief is he has new work hours or he's needed to work weekend nights so he simply wasn't available for indie shows anymore. Holy shit. <laughs> what a... A whiplash of emotions, I just felt. Your favorite wrestler... Well, actually, no, Book Quaterman's your favorite wrestler. Lex Lovett is number two. I know you. But... It's true. <laughs> your second favorite wrestler, nearly retiring, but then being like, I will continue to lose on television. It's fine. What a what a trooper. Because you can't work weekends, but TNA tapes Tuesdays. So I assume that's okay. Hmm. Unless it's a weekend pay-per-view, but let's face it, Lex Lovett's not on those. <laughs> he might be. There is a 20-man gauntlet match that he's not in. So... 
Well, yeah, who's working? Jushin Liger was spoken with about doing the Slammiversary pay-per-view show. He would have challenged Daniels for the X title as the gimmick is there trying to do top international stars being brought in to face Daniels. Ultimo Dragon has also been talked about as a potential challenger. The Liger thing fell through because it was during the Best of the Super Junior Tournament. But don't you worry, guys. Liger will be in to have a disappointing X Division title match at some point. Uh, yes, and he'll also be in to have a cage match with Daniels that he pulls out of. Yes, which they put Key in. Yeah, and that's the return of Loki. See, I know my TNA. I know my T. My T and A. Yeah, we'll see Liger later in the year. Liger! That is the extensive news. I think the longest news segment we have ever done. This is a news show. A juicy news month here in TNA with TV deals and deaths and and political turmoil. (laughs) Yeah. And Lex Lovett. And Lex Lovett, the most important part. That brings us to broad topics, starting with Jeff Jarrett versus AJ Styles for the NWA World title. Hmm. An interesting one. I think it's a rare, well-built match. I really loved the second week Mm. where they did the in-ring interview. Because I think, despite the fact that Jeff kind of ate him up, like, in a way that felt personal, which, with what we know, very well could have been, I think they did a good job in week three of turning that segment into a really great video. Mm. But, yeah, definitely with the knowledge that we know now, that second week and how vindictive Jeff felt in that promo definitely has an extra layer of context to it now. Yeah, so that second week, it's a sit-down promo with Mike Tanay in the empty impact zone. And it's Tanay asking Jared about Ortiz being special referee, and he does all the same old promos. He's like, oh, it's a scheme to get the belt off me, and he's like, I've beaten everybody. And then Tanay asks a question of Styles, and Jared immediately interrupts him. And then Tanay's like, no, stop it. And then Tanay asks another question of Styles, and Jared immediately interrupts him again, and Tanay's like, no, really, stop it. And then he, he does it a third time, and then they start brawling. And it does... On the one hand, you can argue, is that a segment designed to protect Styles? And that he's not a great promo, so what if we have Jarrett be obnoxious and then AJ doesn't have to talk? But then on the other, it's like Jarrett, as you said, kind of eating him up, being like, look how much I can talk and how AJ can't. And this is why he can't be world champion. Yeah, it does. It's one of those segments that kind of blurs the line of work and reality. Yeah. And, like, because also, today seems very legitimately annoyed. Like, you stop interrupting people. Yeah. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how, if that was completely, like, how they intended to play it, or if there was a bit of Jared doing his own thing there, too. Because I I really do think it was constructed so that AJ didn't have to talk. Like, that was a very conscious choice, that they didn't trust AJ to do a real go-home promo, so they constructed a a segment so that AJ didn't. And then, as I said, you you then maybe get into the politics of it. It's like, they they, they deliberately do that so Jared can turn around and say, if we have to do, do, like, go to these lengths... To stop a guy from cutting a promo, he shouldn't be champion. Like, is that what's going on here? I also wonder if they told AJ. Mm. <laughs> because AJ looks legitimately taken back whenever he's cut off. Like, he, like, It's not like he's in the middle, like, where he's hitting a moment to be cut off. He's, like, in the middle of a sentence. And, he, like, like, literally the first sentence he gets out of his mouth, Jared cuts him off three times. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, like... And then just Jim going, and you're like, Jesus, man. And, like, this is a pre-tape on a pre-tape show. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a pre-taped interview early in the day in the anti-impact zone. But that means nothing, as we've seen. But, um, but like, you can, in theory, edit it all you want. You can, and if, if he cuts a bad promo, you can chop it and change it so that it's somewhat coherent, like a Roddy Piper interview. <laughs> but they, they still don't trust AJ to do a promo. And maybe they're right to, but it still feels weird in this particular instance where Jared is very, very obviously big leaguing him. In a way that he has not really done with AJ before. And the worst part is, like, AJ's not the one that stands up for himself. It's like Mike Tanay has to stand up for AJ. Mm. And, like, they do get into a little brawl and the pull apart and security separates them. But it's like, Mike Tanay's the one who's like, you stop talking. 
I wonder if AJ walked away from that, like, what the mm. fuck? Or maybe he's like, oh, I gotta learn how to cut a promo. Well, maybe that too. Jeff Jarrett did say the line, AJ, you better get ready because you're gonna get stroked. <laughs> Phrasing, Jeff. Phrasing. By Dickerson. That was the second show of the month. The first show of the month. There was only a three-week pay-per-view build, by the way. There was, they taped three impacts at once on the Tuesday after lockdown. Hallelujah. So there was only three episodes. The first impact of the month, Dusty Rhodes sat at his desk and announced that there will be a 20-man number one contender gauntlet match at Heart Justice, and also that Tito Ortiz will be the special referee for Jarrett versus Styles at Hard Justice. My favorite part of this segment was the long dolly shot on Dusty as he's cutting this and it's just getting closer and closer and closer to him. So yeah, Dusty is sitting at the end of like a regular board table style table, that long table. The board table it was probably Ken. Probably was. And then they, yeah, the camera's down the other end and as he says, slow zooming in on him. And also like Dusty feels like he's delivering a hostage statement here. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways, he was. <laughs> Where he's like, this is going to be the best pay-per-view <laughs> that has ever happened, Daddy. And it's not like the full Dusty Rhodes bravado. He's like slow delivering it. And then he said, God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder, if because Dusty's promos lately have not been particularly good and have not been particularly good at staying on point and on message. Oh, he's phoning it in. So here, I do wonder if they're like, we are scripting you here, pal. You're a writer of the show, but we're scripting you here. I don't know. I don't think they, they scripted God Bless America. <laughs> I don't know. It's Dusty's famous catchphrase. He ran for election, after all. It's true, and he won. So Jared comes charging out after that. He grabs Mike today and insists, Tito Ortiz, that's not going to happen. He fears no man. Says Ortiz is no shamrock, and he'll slap the taste out of Ortiz's mouth, and he will leave hard justice. As still NWA world champion. And at this time, he might believe it. <laughs> at least he's hoping to politic his way into it. Up until the day of this show, you know he's trying to get that shit changed. Oh, damn right. <laughs> I would respect him less if he wasn't. May 6th Impact, they have that sit-down interview in the Impact Zone. And then the May 13th Impact has an extended five-minute feature looking at AJ Styles ahead of the Hard Justice match against Jeff Jarrett. It was great. I thought it did a very good job of making up for the negatives that came from the actual interview. Made AJ feel like a real big deal because it showed all the highlights of his matches and great theme, obviously, and all those great B-roll shots that they had already filmed. And Yeah, it came together really well. It was like five minutes. Yeah, so the, it's a big Barry Scott narrated feature on AJ. It includes Jerry Lynn, Mike Deney, Jimmy Hart franchise, spliced with AJ working out, looking swole. And it ended with the Bullet Club. <laughs> yeah, the new face of professional wrestling is AJ Styles. Tremendous work, great feature. I think probably the best feature in the history of the company in terms of like this kind of work. Like obviously the pay-per-view opening packages are tremendous. But in terms of like that five-minute feature where you just sit down and like, this is our statement of intent for why this guy is a big deal and why you should take him seriously and why he is in fact the feature star of our company even if for some reason a lot of the people in this company don't actually believe it but yeah. again that's one of those things where like watch your own show you're actually presenting a pretty compelling case maybe that's them trying to convince themselves and you know we talk a lot about the features on these shows where there's a lot of them and they're 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 all fine but they're relatively like filler just uh, you know they're, they're filling time like that, that that's what they're designed to do it's like we're a few minutes short let's throw a couple of hard justice promos in there and that'll get us to the end we'll see the guillotine multiple times on these shows symbolic of the company's status. yeah that weird hard justice spot with like guillotines and it's like the, there has been hard justice through history but none harder than may for 15th on pay-per-view <laughs> We're so hard for this justice. Yeah, there's this big five-minute feature that's just like, again, yeah, it's a statement of intent for AJ. It's like, this guy is cool. He is our best wrestler. Look at him doing cool shit while people you supposedly trust say he's doing cool shit. Mm-hmm. Wrestling's easy. Don't have to do dumb shit. Just tell me he's great and then show footage of him being great and job done. <laughs> 
You know what I found interesting about the build? What did you find interesting about the build? So, Jeff Jarrett's a two-time NWA, three-time NWA world champion. Unfortunately. Who ended the previous two reigns, Liam? AJ Styles. Did they say that at any stage? No, in fact, the whole point of it was that AJ isn't good enough to beat him because he's not on his level. Which I found, like, I kind of get, like, it's it's weird that this company doesn't really acknowledge its own history. They kind of did with Daniels and Skipper last month, which was, like, one of the very few times where it's, like, we're telling a story based on our own history. And then this month, they, like, they have a real easy built-in story there with AJ has been the man to beat Jarrett twice. Like... He's ended both of his previous reigns. And now he's better than he's ever been. And he's walking in as like the guy. And that's the story I'd tell as opposed to like, can't, like they're doing the same thing they always do with AJ. It's like, oh, you're too small. You're not good enough. You can't be champion. As opposed to here, like for me, the story would be the first couple times that might have been the case. Now he's the fucking guy. And he beat you twice. And he's damn well going to beat you again. Well, you see, that would make Jeff Jarrett look mm. bad. So we can't be doing and that. It would have to be a vote of confidence in AJ. Which we definitely can't do. <laughs> no. There was also a, a bunch of sit-down interviews with Tito Ortiz. He talked about how he liked Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Snuka, and Tito Santana. So he's foreshadowing his awful opinions quite early here. I was going to say, very on brand. Talks about his falling out with UFC. Talks about how good AJ is, says TNA is on the up. And he will deliver the hard justice at hard justice. That's why it's named Hard Justice. Which does bring us to May 15th, live on pay-per-view, Hard Justice. We have a bunch of videos through the show where Ortiz, AJ with his pink half-tucked shirt, by the way. (laughs) A sensational 2005 look from AJ Styles here. Just big ace vibes. And Jarrett arrive. Then Tito sits down with Styles and Jarrett through the show to explain the rules of professional wrestling to them. Which, you know, thank God he's here to do that. And then that does bring us to the main event. Styles defeats Jeff Jarrett. The 11-month reign of terror finally comes to a merciful end. Styles is your new NWA world champion with Tito Ortiz as special referee. In a bit of a wet fart of a match. Yeah, because, like, AJ and Jarrett have always had good chemistry. Yeah, this is probably their worst match, right? Like, singles. Because their best one is probably their first one, where AJ's the heel, Jarrett's the baby That face. one was all, that was heat. Like, that That was all, like, every Jarrett gimmick in the book. And maybe, like, this is the probably the least gimmick-filled Jarrett match of his reign? This is just Jarrett working. This is just Jarrett, like, being a work-rate guy, doing a right. Like, Monty interferes, he hits a pounce, he accidentally hits Jarrett. Jarrett grabs a guitar, Tito Ortiz says you can't use it, then Styles grabs the guitar, Tito Ortiz still says you can't use it, so he breaks it off the post. And then there's a spot after Monty accidentally pounces Jarrett, Styles goes for the pin but Tito pulls the referee the second referee out of the ring being like no 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 I'm referee there's, a, there's, there's some shenanigans but it's not like a full blown you know what we've come at least what I've come to love from a Jarrett title defense where it's just overbooked completely this was like a slightly more reserved Jeff Jarrett NWA world championship match but for the worst yeah there's not even like particularly near falls or anything the closest thing they get to near falls is they hate each other's finishes and like it's not as bad as Russo taking all of AJ's mm. heat. But the idea that, like, the only reason Jeff's going down here is because Tito gets yeah. him is a real, like, eye roll. It is one of those things where it's like, if I'm going to lose, I'd be knocked out by the legit fighter as opposed to being beaten straight up by AJ. Yeah. And, like, in fairness, he was beaten straight up by AJ the second time in the cage. But that was mm. with a roll-up. It was a quick pin. But it was, like, he was beaten. He was still beaten. <laughs> Yeah, he was beaten in a professional wrestling As match. opposed to the first time, which was Russo, and the third time, which is Tito Ortiz. Which, again, just, like, feels more like Jarrett being like, make myself as 
invaluable as possible. Jarrett went up into the corner and he was throwing a 10 punch and Tito was like, no, no close fist punches, please. Then they got in each other's face. Jarrett kept pushing Tito, so Tito just decked him. <laughs> yeah. One thing I did like is that um, AJ wasn't like a coward around Tito. Mm. Like he, he like he would get in Tito's face too and push him away and shit. And like he, it wasn't like he was backing down to Tito the whole time, or that Tito was being particularly um, expressing particular favoritism the whole time. Like AJ and Tito got into it too, but Jeff just took it that level too far and paid the price. Typical Jeff Jarrett fashion, and he took a sensational bump for the punch. To be fair, yeah good punch we were talking about on the watch along that traditionally fighters and boxers throw really bad worked punches because yeah. they're like i don't want to actually hit the person so they throw like they throw it way too short or it just looks terrible whereas here good looking punch he doesn't gonna give a shit styles goes up top he hits the spiral tap for the first time in ages that the whole idea he's breaking out like the death blow to take out jared he pins jared he does end the reign of terror they set off pyro in the building as aj celebrates styles is the man to end the jeff jared 11 month endless reign and Jeff Jarrett never wins the title ever again, and we're all happy. Yeah, like to reflect on the Reign of Terror, <laughs> mm, the Reign of Terror. It is the well, Paul's is up there as well. Paul's around the same time having a terrible Reign of Terror too. But this is like the Reign of Terror. Like you could argue, it still had heat up to the Nash match. Yeah, it had points. Yeah, like the Monty match is where he should have lost it. The Nash match was like, all right, there's still something here. But I think everything after the Nash match was like, it's done. People are so over this at this stage. It it stopped being heat and just became like, go away. Heat. Like every time he'd come out on the TV show, they'd chant drop the title. The DDP match was nothing. The lockdown match, which wasn't a title match, but it was still nothing. And then this match, like the crowd did go nuts when AJ won the belt. Like they were super duper happy this reign was finally goddamn over. It doesn't necessarily feel like it was people getting behind AJ more than the reign is over, thank God. Yeah, I think they were just happy to see Jarrett lose. So, like, you could be very cynical and be like, oh, he only held the belt because he was part owner. Which, that's true. (laughs) For a significant portion of it. And he has been champion for the best part of the last 18 months. Because it's not just this reign, he had the brief month where he wasn't champion. And then he was champion from, like, he was champion from November to March or April. It truly feels like he was never not champion. Yeah, he was champion from November 03 to, I think, April 04, and then from June 04 to May 05. So there's only a month or so where he was not champion in the space of over 18 months, <laughs> which is... Yeah. Um, very much looking forward to a break from that. Deeply upsetting that this man has been on top for that long, and the crowd, they just don't want him there anymore. And he, he's, he's never been a world champion caliber guy. We've always talked about that. About how he's like a real good mid-card heel. He's a real good goof. He's a good worker. He's a good performer. He's not a world champion and has never been a world champion. And he can't carry a brand. Which is so funny that there's all these questions about whether or not AJ can carry a brand. When it's like, you held that belt for 18 months and this business went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, like anywhere's upwards at this point. Again, it's the standard applied to other people that is not being applied to Jarrett. And I get why it's not being applied to Jarrett, because, well, he's, again, part owner. He's the one addressing the standards. Yeah, he's the one applying the standards to others that he is not applying to himself. But we talked about it with Monty. It's like, oh, Monty's too green to carry world title main events. It's like, Jarrett's best matches were against Monty. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, can Styles be the guy? It's like, look at the emotional reaction Styles gets from audiences versus the one Jarrett gets, which is they don't want to see him. Yeah. But no, that's heat. And it's it's just one of those things where it's like you're not believing what's in front of your eyes because you're you're so like 
deep in the pro wrestling weeds that you have these biases. And that is almost maybe I was talking about like how you need pro wrestling people, which you do. But if you have those pro wrestling people who are, who are so steeped in the way wrestling is done elsewhere or the way wrestling has been done, they bring all those biases to this company too. And those biases get in the way of this company. It got in the way of Monty Brown and it got in the way of AJ. So maybe you don't want wrestling people. Maybe you do want fresh perspectives. I think it helps if those wrestling people didn't have stake in the moment too. Like that's a big component of it. It ultimately comes down to this is the Jeff Jarrett vanity project. And, you know, we're talking about having um, non-wrestling people in the room and how they can be beneficial. Like Dixie was the one who like decided that we need to do this. Mm. Like... Jeff always had the opportunity to wiggle his way out with Dusty. Dixie put the foot down, was like, this is happening, I'm in charge. Yeah, and like to be fair to Dusty, he was also like, you're dropping the title here. Like, the original booking decision was Styles was beating Jarrett. That was Dusty's call too. Yeah. Like, like literally everybody in the company is like, you've got to lose this belt. There's some, like, like, arguing about to whom he should lose it to. But literally everybody is like, you are dropping this title. And honestly, you should never have it again. He doesn't have it for a long period again, if that makes you feel better. Yeah. I say that four or five months is what he tops out at after this. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and I know how it happens, so... And uh, he only has three more of them. You're fine. <laughs> three more is insane. <laughs> but yeah, AJ Styles is your NWA world champ. A disappointing main event, if I'm honest. Is that they, these two generally have good chemistry together. They've had much better matches than this. And AJ's your champ, for now. Yay. That brings us over to, once again, the highlight of the month. Even though one half of the match didn't show up for the pay-per-view. It's Raven and Jeff Hardy. Uh, Raven's the fucking man. What can we say more that we haven't said about Raven at this point? He basically carries every good thing in this company that, like, isn't the tag division. Or the X division. At times. So there's only one point to build to this match. It's announced very early that they'll face each other in a Clockwork Orange House of Fun match. I think that's announced basically before the first impact. And to be fair, like, this has had a month before it as well. Actually, no, there's two. There's one on the go-home show, too. So on the May 6th impact, Raven cuts a promo. Mm -hmm. And it's like a full four-minute promo where he's really pitching this match on Jeff Hardy. (laughs) It's some classic Raven. Oh, he's hitting all the beats here. He's, like, quoting Napoleon and everything. Which gives you the opportunity, of course, to do your Raven impression, which is a highlight. Yeah, so this is Napoleon through Raven. Glory is fleeting. Through Garrett Kidney. But obscurity is forever. Quote the raven, nevermore. Yeah, he has some real nasty scars in his forehead here, falling from the lockdown match. Yeah, that's the reason. Listen, like, yeah, he normally does, but like, the, there's like deep open wounds borderline. So this is the, the classic raven promo. He talks about how he wanted to like Jeff Hardy because he's like, you're reckless and strange. I appreciate that. I like Keith Richards. But you're popular and I'm a weirdo. I'm a freak. I'm a little crazy. I'm a little Joker-fied. He talks about how he wants to care, but he can't. All the gods can't keep score of the suffering he's inflicted. Hardy is standing in the path of his immortality. He is going to terminate Hardy with extreme prejudice at Hard Justice. Extreme prejudice. Hell of a promo. Yeah, Raven rules. Super duper Raven promo, but the good kind of like super duper Raven promo where he's like full of himself in a way that's entertaining instead of full of himself in a way that is long run on sentences punctuated by poetry. With Marvel references randomly. So the May 13th impact opened with a wrestling match that so deeply confused me. Yeah, okay. So I just thought this was just a match. So I don't like there's the spot in the middle, which is great, but go ahead. So it's Edith Skipper versus Christopher Daniels versus Eric Young versus Jeff Hardy and a four-way elimination match opens the show. And when you see this on paper, you go, what? How? 
And why? There are many questions you have. Yeah. So the match actually starts off pretty hot. They hit a bunch of moves. Hardy hits a poetry in motion off the chair to the floor. Daniels took a chair that hit like a dive with the chair in front of him on the floor as well. Raven comes out. He brawls to the back with Hardy to set up their pay-per-view match. And then the match becomes the strangest match I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's great. So there's seven minutes on the clock and Daniels is standing in the middle of the ring with Eric Young and Elix Chipper on the floor. And for the next four minutes of this wrestling match through a commercial break, all that is happening over and over again is Elix Skipper gets on the apron, Daniels knocks him back to the floor. Eric Young gets on the apron, Daniels knocks him back to the floor. Elix Skipper gets on the apron, Daniels knocks him back to the floor. Scott Demore gets on the apron, Daniels knocks him back to the floor. Eric Young gets on the apron, Daniels knocks him back to the floor. This happens for four minutes. Personally, I think it's a good bit. It happens for four minutes. Before they went out, they got told they have four more minutes to film. And the, the the real funny part is they completely fuck up the timing of the finish after all of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, after all that, like, Skipper just buckshots his way back into the ring. Which, to be fair, is a good payoff to the keeping someone out the ring spot. Maybe not for four minutes. <laughs> Come on. Did it for so long. Come on. So there was ten seconds left on the clock. Skipper hits the sudden death on Eric Young to eliminate him. Then Skipper rolls up Daniels. The bell rings because the time has run out. A good five seconds pass before the referee counts the pin on Daniels and Skipper is awarded the win. And then they come back after the break and they're like, this crowd was going so wild and out of control for this match that the referee didn't hear the bell. And thus the match has actually been declared a draw between Daniels and Skipper. Sounds about right to me. The finish was meant to be the the roll up. Skipper was meant to win, but they fucked up the timing because they spent four minutes of daniel's knocking guys off aprons i loved it i was going nuts so you gave this match two stars you can't say you loved it i mean i love that section of the match <laughs> yeah if only it didn't have the action on either side of it if it was just the dude knocking people off the apron if they had a committed to the bit that hard do you not think i would have been into it mm, so yeah raven and hardy brawl off that's the the raven and hardy part of this match but which takes us to hard justice in which jeff hardy no shows yeah so uh, on the Hard Justice pay-per-view on May 15th, Jeff Hardy no-showed. He cancelled and reserved a later flight from North Carolina to Orlando six or eight times over the weekend, depending on the source, before finally not getting there at all. Actually, he arrived after the show ended, as he was at the hotel hanging out with fans at midnight with his body all painted up like he was ready for a match. Oh, Jeffrey. He was at the TV on the Tuesday before he got word that he was suspended. They finally put their foot down with Jeff Hardy. <laughs> He's been late. He's been delaying people. He, he kind of missed TV tapings. But now it's like live pay-per-view match is like the absolutely positively thing you have to show up for. And I'm afraid Jeff, he been suspended. Yeah. He was very apologetic, but he didn't do himself any favors when he said the reason he kept canceling his flights was because he was doing errands. <laughs> People apparently didn't expect the new booking team would take such a strong stand against the star. And I think like that was like their first real test, right? It's like immediately Jeff Hardy no shows. So you have to like, you have to like, again, statement of intent, just like the AJ video. It's their statement of intent. It's like, you've got to cop yourself on here. Everyone's got to cop themselves on here. This is a professional enterprise. Which is a good change of pace. Mm, The inmates are not running the asylum. We're not in the asylum anymore. That was like a year ago. That was like a year ago. Huh. I'm living in the moment too. So the the big thing kind of hanging over this is like Matt Hardy's been released and there's plenty and plenty of rumors that he is TNA bound because 
Jeff's suspension will end on, on the 11th of July. Matt's no compete will be up shortly after. He's, he's agreed to do dates with Ring of Honor at this stage. And the, the big thing is he's going to come in. They, they, like the Hardys don't really want to team together, but they're willing to do it on like their first date just because that's what people want. People want the Hardys. And then he'll do like single stuff with Matt and single stuff with Jeff. So like the, the big thing with Jeff and like probably the reason people didn't think he'd be suspended was because everyone thought Matt would come in. Ultimately, Matt goes back to WWE and never goes to TNA at this stage. But I think that makes it like an even like a braver decision is not the right choice because he no showed your pay per view. It's the decision you should make. But it is still like a brave decision because of you know wrestling is a star business. Mm, there is more at stake than just Jeff because maybe in theory because I think Matt's compete was up up earlier. So maybe if Matt comes in, you at least get the Hardy Boys match before he goes back to WWE, which would be pretty valuable to them if they didn't suspend Jeff. Yeah pretty cold-blooded of Matt not to show. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the first real roadblock in the Jeff Hardy TNA relationship. Yeah, because, uh, like, obviously it, it was boiling over. It's not like they didn't have warning signs, no. but here he is. He's finally no-showed a live show. And a pay-per-view, no less. Yeah, like, if he, no- if he no-shows an impact, you can get over it, you know? You can just yeah. rewrite the show. He's done it before. <laughs> yeah, you can just rewrite the show. Everything's fine. Whereas you advertise him for a live pay-per-view match and he's not there. That's a problem. Yeah. They're very lucky they had Walton. Mm. So earlier in the show, Terry Taylor had Raven. Taylor said Jeff Hardy's not here. Then Raven's like, he's a pathetic, disgusting coward. But you know what? If you're not there, you're allowed to get buried on TV. It's true. Small joke, Kevin Nash got home. <laughs> so uh, he says that Walton will be the replacement. And Raven said he's going to rip somebody's head off tonight and spit down their brain. That he follows up by saying that he's going to make sure Waltman leaves on a stretcher tonight, and then he's going to blow up the ambulance. <laughs> That's very mean. Raven is on one right now. He's loving life. He's like peak Raven at this stage. He knows he's about to win the title. <laughs> the funny thing about Waltman is that he also had like a pay dispute because they're, uh, I think, two paydays behind on him, but they came to a settlement and he did the show. And he delivered a fantastic match. He did. So Waltman replaced Jeff Hardy to face Raven in a clockwork orange house of fun match that just kind of rocked. Yeah, they just went out there. They worked a mile a minute. It was brutal. Uh, Waltman was great in it. Raven was great in it. It's it's really is quite a fantastic little match. Because Waltman hasn't really gotten a chance to show what he can do yet since he returned in February. God, it's been three months already. Mm. So he's only done like some TV squashes and he's done the Lethal Lockdown match. All of which he looked good in because he's Sean Waltman and he rocks. Because even when he's out there against Lex Lovett and Buck Quatermain, when he's just thrown his kicks, it's like, oh God, this guy rules. And taking 50% of the match randomly. Whereas here, where he can go out there and have like a, a real good match against Raven, a guy who has been one of the consistent best parts of this company for over two years now and Raven's kind of match and a match that Waltman is willing to rise to Raven's kind of match they just go out there tear the house down Waltman does just a bunch of wacky bumps yeah uh, Waltman's flying all over the place taking some stupid ass bumps including getting thrown off the fucking stage into an abyss not into Abyss, but into an Abyss. That's my favorite one, because, like, they don't make a big production of it. They don't make, like, a big show of, like, teetering back and forth. It doesn't feel like it was set up. It, like, it just feels like like it's something that happened. Like, they didn't, like, get in position and get this great shot of it. He just went flying. Yeah, because they just walk up the ramp, 
and then he just hurls him off the side of the stage through a table that happens to be set up there and he kind of missed the table kind of a table like he kind of goes through it yeah but it's one of those it's just like organically incorporated into the match where it's like he drags him off the ramp and then before you know it a man is flying off a stage and Raven's bleeding he's bleeding this is some classic Raven bleeding yeah Waltman's also bleeding Waltman hits a senton off the top through a table on the floor just to give people their Jeff Hardy fix yeah it feels like a little fuck you to Jeff there uh, Raven handcuffed Waltman to the pole and started beating with a cane which is a really good spot uh, it, was, it wasn't apparently enough so he went going looking for a chair and then Dusty showed up while Raven was looking for a chair and with some referees he had a master key apparently. blatant flagrance of the rules of which there are none and if there are no rules that means Dusty can do whatever he wants boom a biased biased authority figure who cannot be trusted listen he's already been ousted he doesn't care anymore Fair. he's just doing whatever the hell he wants again I was proven right about Dusty Rhodes this time, as a character, being completely untrustworthy as a man in charge. Vince Russo would never. Exactly! My favorite part of that, though, because Raven was off searching for a chair, he didn't actually know that Waltman was, uh, like, uncuffed, and then Waltman made a big comeback. And then the finish also rocked. So, the way Clockwork Orange is set up, there is a single cage fence set up on one side of the ring. Mm-hmm. Very cage of death. So they used it a couple times of the match where it, like, grated each other off of it. And then the finish is Raven is standing in front of it in the ring. He backdrops Sean Waltman into the cage fence... Which collapses to the floor, Waltman with it, and then Raven pins him for three. Fantastic visual, awesome finish, tremendous match. I also love that he didn't, like, just pick him up in DDT and beat him. Mm. Like, it was just off that collision. Yeah, he just launched him into the cage, the cage collapsed. He just rolled down the, like, collapsed cage door and Raven just pinned him. It probably wasn't, like, a a crazy intensive bump, but it looked like Mm. one. I imagine there's that little bit of fear. I'm not sure how they set it up so that the cage would collapse, but I imagine there is that little bit of fear of like, what if it doesn't? Yeah, and then he just slides down. And then it does and everything goes fine. I think this is like one of the most underrated matches in TNA history. Like nobody talks about this match and nobody remembers this match and it just fucking rocks. Yeah, it's great. Just two guys just going out there doing wacky shit. Probably doesn't help that it had just followed the AJ Abyss match, which is way more well-known. And it also doesn't help that it, like, it is an impromptu match because Jeff Hardy no-showed the pay-per-view. Yeah, Probably better than the Jeff match would have been, to be fair. Yeah, and these guys delivered. They gave people value for money. I don't think anybody would have been upset that they didn't see Jeff Hardy on the show. Mm-hmm. The other big heavyweight thing was the gauntlet for the gold. <laughs> I guess. So Dusty announces it in that first show of the month. Then, is there any build to it on the second show of the month? I don't really think so. No. I mean, people are that are in it are hanging around the show. Yeah, but they're all doing other things. I guess the best. He squashes Cassidy Riley for the second pay-per-view cycle in a row. He also, like, he needed something because he just lost to AJ. Give him, give him a nice little squash. Yeah, but literally all he does is squash Cassidy Riley. Sounds good to me. There's no angle. He just comes out, he beats him with a black hole slam. And then main event of the May 13th impact is a preview of the gauntlet for the gold. It's a 10-man gauntlet with Abyss, Michael Shane, Chris Saban, Bobby Roode, Petey Williams, David Young, Triton, A1, Lance Hoyt, and Apollo. With the, the classic rule that it, the first person out will be the first entrant in the gauntlet for the gold and the winner of this will be the 20th entry in the gauntlet for the gold. I like that. Bobby Roode's out first mm. and then on the pay-per-view he's like why did this happen? <laughs> this is blatant anti-Canada propaganda. <laughs> and it's like no you just got thrown out first. Yeah, he's like there is this big vendetta against me because I am first where it's like no, no that's because you, you, you got eliminated from the gauntlet in the TV show and that's like I like that no one even calls him on that like Terry Taylor should be like no no that's it's like, it's like nope let the Canadians let them spin their narrative Terry Taylor didn't watch the show. I wonder where a franchise was. Or Scott Hudson. Or Goldilocks. Well, listen, don't give me hope. 
Uh, there's some other stories in this match that we'll talk about when we get to them, but it's mostly Abyss running wild, Abyss wins. I thought Triton looked good in both Gauntlet matches, it's the only time he ever looked good. But it comes down to the final two, which is Abyss and Lance Hoyt. Lance Hoyt now super duper over. You're watching it and you're like, they really could have done something with Lance Hoyt. Yeah, because the, the impact zone as like a crowd randomly just embrace people. That's just the way it works. And coming off the back of his babyface turn, they're like, Lance Hoyt's our guy. Because he's big and he does cool shit. So they are the Hoytomaniacs. <laughs> they have a name. They will eventually have t-shirts. They also have the Hoyt section. That are running wild. I suppose, yeah, it goes back to the asylum with, like, the Saban section and the heel section. So it's, like, it's a long-term TNA narrative that they just randomly embrace people. Yeah, he shit Cesaro. <laughs> it comes down to Hoyt and Abyss. They have a nice little match. Hoyt hits a big moonsault for a near fall. I like that Don West always calls moonsaults backwards moonsaults. <laughs> the frontward moonsault is the shooting side press. Yeah. The Naturals tried to interfere. Hoyt disposed of them. Then Hoyt walked right into a black hole slam. Handing Abyss the win, Abyss will be the 20th man in the gauntlet for the gold. I really feel like at the actual gauntlet of the gold, you really, you could have had Hoyt win. Yeah, it's a weird choice because that does take you to the pay-per-view where you do have the 20-man gauntlet for the gold, which Abyss also just wins. Yeah. Which I guess you're talking about reheating him. Him winning a 10-man gauntlet and then a 20-man gauntlet does reheat him. Yeah, but I don't know. It just feels like you could you had something with Hoyt, you know? Mm. And you could have capitalized on it here. And then you have two, like, homegrown heavyweight prospects. Yeah, and like they, they don't do nothing with Hoyt all year, but I don't think they ever really struck while this particular iron was hot. No, it doesn't seem so. And this iron doesn't last forever. This is just a random crowd taking a random liking to a random wrestler where you could potentially do something with it. For sure. Uh, so Rude and the returning Zach Gowan start this gauntlet match. You happy to see Zach Gowan back? Sure. <laughs> I was going to say, but like when they did the the Team Canada promo at the start of the show and they teased this. That promo is also kind of relevant because, you know, with Scott Demore in charge now, it does feel like Team Canada's like, we are real again. Yeah, it is very funny because this is the first show booked by Demore. Some of which the creative, obviously like the match lineup and all that is already set coming into it by Dusty. So it's not like a, a full show booked by Demore, but obviously all the finishes and stuff are booked by Demore and some of the, the add-ons are booked by Demore. Whereas, yeah, as you said, the, like the opening match of this show is just a, a throwaway Team Canada against Apollo and Sonny Siaki match it's pd and eric young beating apollo and siaki there's there's nothing remarkable about the match other than it was meant to be a, a team mexico match but they couldn't pull together a team mexico but it's just like you can tell that like scott's like okay my boys are getting some shine here and like the, they were thoroughly de-emphasized under dusty in a way that like i think the show was worse off because we kind of discussed how team canada were like the weird little backbone to the show and when they were complete nerds that weren't doing anything and were just losing three minute tv matches the show was worse off for it because there's so many of them when they feel hot and they're all over the show, it feels, it's way better to have. Yeah, so for the various Team Mexico combinations they wanted, they apparently had Silver King and Ray Bucanero agreed, but they pulled out. Ultimo Guerrero didn't have the correct paperwork. Heavy Metal and two of the three Villanos had the date open and been talked with, but then they didn't go ahead with it because they didn't think the level of talent was going to be good to wrestle a Team Canada versus Team Mexico match. So that's why it ended up being PD and Eric Young versus Apollo and Siaki. Great. So as you said, not only did they give Team Canada a win there, this gauntlet match is pretty much entirely built around Team Canada as a unit dominating because uh, Rude and Zach Gowan start, Eric Young comes out, then Alex Riley, Alex Riley, God, it would be a very different match if it was Alex Riley in this match. Would have been awesome. He'd eliminate himself doing wacky Undertaker dives. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. Uh, Cassidy Riley, yeah, Elix Skipper next, Sharky. Bleh. Shark Boy got a good reaction. We don't see Shark Boy. Shark Boy's another one of those guys who gets good reactions every time he's out there, but then is, is never on the show. I don't think they know what they're doing with him yet. So Shark Boy bit Zach Gowan's ass over the ropes to eliminate him. He bit his ass, and then Zach Gowan was like, woo, took a bump over the ropes. He's out. I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, wouldn't I bite Zach Gowan's ass? 
Now, wouldn't you escape a shock <laughs> oh, attack, right. a vicious shock attack? You gotta get it out of the That's water. That's true. The ring is the water. Uh, A1 next, Saban out. Saban then hit a tornado DDT while he kicked everybody. Cool little spot. PD's out, so you get all of a Team Canada, and then Team Canada start to dominate. A1 eliminates Sharkboy. Young eliminates Cassidy Riley. Siaki's out. Rude eliminates Skipper. Hoyt is out next to a big reaction. He press slams Eric Young to eliminate him. Michael Shane is out next. Saban eliminates himself and Shane with a cactus clothesline. Brawls to the back. We'll talk about their program in a second. Rude and PD knock Siaki off the apron. Jarrell Clark was the next entrant. He hit a, a front flip bump on a northern lariat, which I popped for. Uh, and then the, the coolest elimination, where PD went to Canadian Destroyer Jarrell Clark, and then A1 and Bobby Roode grabbed him on either side and helped launch, propel Canadian Destroyer him over the ropes. Which is insane. Because <laughs> he did the Destroyer, then he took the bumps over the ropes. It wasn't like he destroyed him from the inside to the out. Well, then PD would be eliminated, so that'd be ridiculous. But... Yeah, Mikey Bats was next. Then the Outlaw outlaw hit Bats with two one-and-onlys, which looked fun. Yeah, um, the Outlaw still could hit a one-and-only, so that's the, that's the main point. They also had a TV squash as well, by the way. It was the Outlaw against Mikey Bats, and he also hit a fucking awesome-looking one-and-only there, too. It's a great move. Or the Missouri Boat Ride, as I think it would be called in TNA. Uh, fuck you. That's the name of the move. It's the one-and-only. Triton came out next, ran wild, including chokeslamming the Outlaw. Killings came out. Team Canada pushed out Triton. Apollo came out. Outlaw immediately low-bridged Apollo. <laughs> BG came out. He faced off with the Outlaw for a second, but then they were jumped from either side. Hoyt boots out Rude. Then Rude helped A1 eliminate Hoyt from the floor. BG and Outlaw then like went through a period where they were like, accidentally working together, where it's like they were working over PD and A1, then they eliminated PD and A1 almost simultaneously. It was like they were a tag team. They're like, wait a minute, are we a tag team? Then uh, Abyss just eliminated both of them it's like get out of here you new age outlawed nerds good spot which brought us down to the final two abyss and killings so unfortunately this match had all of that in it i would say i think it was a pretty well booked match for the most part that has actual creative directions coming out of it because like rude and hoyt will spin off into a program coming off of that elimination shane and saban has stuff coming out of this match the obviously you have the 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 new age outlaw stuff which your mileage may vary on but they told a nice little story where they were like accidentally working together and then were eliminated and they were like are we a team do we hate each other so i thought they did at least a nice enough job of weaving some stories into the gauntlet match the way you would actually want okay so unfortunately the first half of that match <laughs> happened but the last portion of this fucking rocked mm. it's just ron killings and abyss having a kick-ass singles match it's the best killings has looked in the ring in a while yeah uh again random guy who's just kind of fallen off during the regime 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 changes and like to be unfair to killings to, to be against him it's not even the case that like he's been having good matches and hasn't been given chances like when he's in there with people he should have good matches with the matches are thoroughly bland and forgettable he's he's just there's nothing going on with ron lately he actively hated being in the x division yeah he was given like a little run in the x division he's like no yeah so to be against them i don't think he's even been good mm. but he's charismatic and cool and he had a cool little exchange here with the good here so Abyss tried to use the chain, but Rudy took it from him, so he tried to use the chair, which then Truth takes from Abyss and brains him with it. Abyss charges <laughs> yeah. the referee, Killings does an axe kick off the ropes onto the chair, but there's no ref. Then Chokeslams Killings onto a chair, but Killings kicked out. Then Killings went to the top, leaped at Abyss off the ropes, but Abyss caught him in midair with a black hole slam to become number one contender. Don't even that flying nothing. <laughs> the jumping black hole slam setup. That's the famous high-flying move of flying into a black hole slam. The please catch me into the black hole slam. <laughs> it's the name of the move. Abyss could not help but oblige. What's he gonna do? We should not use that against Abyss. I, I wouldn't. It's not advised. What was Abyss gonna do? Shock treatment him? That'd be sick. It would actually. Damn it. <laughs> 
Abyss, once again, number one contender, once again, will not get a singles title match. Right. That brings us over to the tag team division. And on the first impact of the month, the main event is the Naturals versus America's Most Wanted for the NWA World Tag Team titles. It's nice to see the Naturals mean something. Mm. And they had a pretty good TV main event with AEW. They did. I've seen them wrestle too much now that I'm kind of numb to what they do. Because they always do like the little crowd. Like they do the opening exchange, then break out into the crowd brawl thing. It's just like, all right, we've seen you do this like four times. Yeah. Obviously, like the Naturals only win here because they want another AMW challenger. Well, to be fair, if you remember the go-home show of the last show, the Naturals did beat AMW. Yeah. Because they needed another challenger of the month where they would have just beaten them for the titles. Yeah, so they at least set up the Naturals being contenders because they have a win over AMW. So the title match makes sense. And uh, you do get the sense that it's like, "Eh, it's time to turn AMW heel. You get that little bit of a feel here where it's just like, it's time. It's time to give these guys something new to do. I don't know if I felt that Mm -hmm. way, but like what other tag teams are there for them to wrestle? Yeah, I think that's the big problem where it's like they've wrestled everyone as baby faces. I mean, you could have brought the Briscoes in, but whatever. I felt it more in the pay-per-view match than this one. That's just like, yeah, it's time. It's it's, it's time. Mm, Interesting. I didn't get the vibe, but but, you know, I'm not opposed to it. Because James Storm as a a dork heel is amazing, so... (laughs) So they aired the Candido leg break multiple times on the show. This, again, the day after he died, which must have felt so weird. Yeah. Because, like, it's impossible to separate this from the fact that, like, he died literally the day before. And obviously, like, this show was in the can. And they didn't really change it. And it's so weird that the entire main event is built around Chris Candido. Uh, it's, it's, it's a strange one to watch. So Candido on crutches asks the people to show an injured man respect. <laughs> this is a great promo. It's like he, he gives out about them showing a replay of the injury. It's like the worst moment in my life. And then like the particularly poignant line here is he talks about how nothing in the world would make him miss this moment. And like he's literally saying that from beyond the grave. Again, very, very weird, morbid moment. Mm. So the Naturals put a chair out for him. Uh, 30-minute time limit because this is a title match. They brawl all over the building. Harris kind of suplexed Douglas on the steps in the crowd, but it was abundantly clear Andy Douglas wanted none of that bump. Yeah, which, to be fair, true. Samoa Joe should have learned from him. (laughs) Uh, Storm Bulldog Stevens down the ramp. Then Andy Douglas grabbed a title belt off the table, but Rudy took it away from him. Storm super kicked Douglas. Stevens hit Storm with a chair. Harris speared Stevens, so everybody was down. But then Candido ran in, pulled Douglas on top of Storm to win the belts. The Naturals are the new World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, that's what I said. It was a, a good little TV main event. So then Candido joyously celebrates. They show like a slow motion replay later of him just crying with both belts as if he had in fact won the belts himself. Which is actually a great little thing in his primary that he says, where he's like, he starts saying like, and I, d- and my boys did it. <laughs> yeah, Harris jumped the Naturals after the match. Then Tanay got in Candido's face and said Candido was the difference maker. Candido's like, you're damn right I was. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the credit, Mike. Yeah, Tanay said Candido should give AMW a rematch. And then Candido's like, stick to announcing, pal. Then he's like, uh, Chase Stevens, do you have any comment? And just st- Chase Stevens, glassy-eyed, was like, who won? <laughs> Before they closed the show with a slow-mo of Chris Candido's elaborate over-the-top celebration. Apparently the post-match interview was ad-libbed because they were a few minutes short, so they had to just throw them out there. So Chase Stevens ad-libbed that who won line. (laughs) Which is a very good bit. A good bit of business. I thought, like, uh, you cannot separate it from the fact that Chris Candido died. And that makes you feel all sorts of different things that he's like, he does that pre-match promo where it's like, no, nah, I'll miss nothing. And then he does the post-match promo where he's like, he, my boys did it. I'm so proud of them. And he has that big celebration. It's the most Chris Candido has been ever featured on this wrestling show the day after he died. And also it's like the act has clicked so perfectly mm. now. Like Candido and the Naturals together in this moment feel like 
like a team that can carry this tag division because they have the charisma added to it of Chris Candido who adds like a, an aura of uh, legitimacy to them while also letting them again play on their like natural dork instincts and it's like this match is such a, a like a show reel for chris candido as a performer where it's just like he's super charismatic he's like the great door keel he's everything you'd want out of a manager of the naturals and it, it's just it's such a bummer so they're not really featured on the shows other than that mike Tanay announces at some stage that there will be a rematch on the pay-per-view it will be the naturals versus amw in a rematch for the tag titles then you have naturals kind of messing with hoyt in the gauntlet of the the may 13th show but that that's about it there's also a feature on amw versus the naturals on that go home show which does lead us to heart justice which opens the show with a 10 bell salute for chris candido and then later in the show mike Tanay sits down with the naturals and he's like guys what do you even do here and they're like we don't know man yeah, so they talk about how Chris Candido was the man who turned them around. Today openly wonders how they'll fare without him, which seems a bit mean. It's, it's a little morbid, too. Like, there, there's no getting around it. So you have to do it. You have to address, like, what happened to Candido. But obviously, there's no, like, good way to do it. No, it's um an awful situation all around. Mm. And then they have to go have a match. Yeah, so the, the thing to note from this interview is they say they've been getting some help from a legend, but they won't say who. But I have no clue who that is. But Candido will taught them how to be champions, and they will continue to be champions against America's Most Wanted. You'd be very like, bad if they just lost. <laughs> it would. <laughs> so the big hook of this match is they're talking about how no team has a better championship record against AMW than the Naturals do. They're 3-0 and against AMW in title matches. They've beaten AMW to the tag titles twice. So they reinforce that the Naturals have AMW's number, which is always kind of the Naturals and AMW's relationship. I always like that kind of story. Which is like, AMW the best team in the division, but one team, for whatever reason, just has them worked out. Uh, the natural set up a chair in the corner with Candido's towel on it, which I thought was a nice touch. I'll say like a giant baby face thing. Yeah, and they do turn them baby face after this, which is, I think, very much the right call. Because it would be very weird to be like, oh, your manager died. We all feel very bad for you now. Boo. Yeah. They do more or less the same match they do on TV. It's still pretty good, but it's not special. I think I gave both three and a quarter stars. Yeah, it's um, they're both around the same. Though I will say for the TV match, it does still feel special to have title matches on Impact. Mm. And title changes. Yeah, they don't do either of them very often. The only other title change has been the tag title change on the very first Impact. And there's been three title matches in the history of Impact? Four, maybe? Something like, like we've yet to have an X Division title match on Impact, which is kind of crazy. Oh, no, we have. We, Wasn't the first show that? No, we, and we did have the Kid Cash AJ one. I think we, I think that was the first X title match on Impact. I thought the first episode had one. No, the first one had the tie title match, which was AMW against Cash in Dallas. Oh, and AJ won the number one contender. And AJ won number one contendership in that match. And then we've had one NWA title match. So we've had two tie title matches and an X Division title match. So four title matches in the first year of Impact? That's that's. that's Showing pretty good restraint. Maybe too much restraint, some might argue. Give us some more. I didn't realize until recently, like, how often title matches are done on TV now. Well, you see, AEW do them all the goddamn time. Yeah. I don't mind it. I just I find it interesting. Like, because WWE went through a stage two where, like, they were doing them all the time. Because... Like, Tony Khan's shorthand to making, like, an episode of Rampage feel important, when it's kind of not, is to put, like, title match that the conclusion is foregone, but it, like, it feels special because there's an Orange Cassidy title defense on Rampage. That's, like, his usual shorthand, trying to give a hook to the TV show, but I think ultimately a lot of those matches could just be non-title and you could save the value of title matches. Mm. 
Although I enjoyed the Yuda Orange Cassidy from two weeks ago. Mm. <laughs> ah, good. Well done. Uh, they did a real wacky Tower of Doom where Stevens ended up taking a huge flip bump. It was a very wacky Tower of Doom. One of those ones are like everyone's involved and maybe not in the way that you think they would mm. be. It's like because it, usually it's like power bomb suplex kind of thing. That's like the traditional Power of Doom. It's very easy to set up. Whereas here it was like a backdrop, but somebody was on the bottom rope and Chase Stevens was in a very tenuous position. It was a very strange setup for a Tower of Doom. And then like it was a crazy bump at the end of it too. Mm. They set Storm up for the natural disaster, but then Harris speared out one of them, Storm super kicked the other, which I thought was a cool way to break up the natural disaster. They went for the death sentence, and then just as Chris Candido would have wanted, Douglas pushes Harris off the top rope, Stevens grabs a pin, puts his feet in the rope, as the crowd chant Chris Candido that they won via cheating, which I appreciate. Nice that the crowd picked up on that too. Yeah, it's nice that like while they are baby-facing them, they still had them win by a dastardly way because that's what Chris Candido would have loved as their manager. It's also the story. Yeah, so they retained the NWA World Tag Team titles over AMW. It's a good match, nothing special. Yeah. Which brings us over to the X Division for a very rare X Division month that has two stories. Let's do Daniel Shocker first because I want to talk about Michael Shane and Saban as the closer. Ah, your, your famous favorite Michael Shane story. So Shocker became number one contender by winning the escape match at Lockdown. Shocker. He faces Petey Williams on the April 29th impact. Quick match, wins pretty easy. Petey's still in job, job down. Yeah, he pins him very, very quickly. Mike did an interview Shocker after the match and he says he's going to be the next X-Division champion and then his does his double bicep pose, kiss pose. Oh yeah. Which is a good pose. I like the way he's like, I'm going to be some champion. Kiss, kiss. I also thought it was a pretty good like, little promo too. May 6th impact. A match I thought kind of rocked. It was Shocker against Sanjay. Go off, King. They had a real nice like eight, nine minute TV match. Dot hit a cool like spin around top rope Frankensteiner, you know, where he sits in like their poison round position and spins around and uh, top rope around him. And then Shocker won with like a kick-ass top rope powerbomb where he powerbombed Sanjay halfway across the ring. And I'm like, thumbs up. Good TV match. Feels like a little unnecessary for TV, but hey, we'll take yeah, it. Yeah, if you're going to go out there, it's like so many of these TV matches are just utterly pointless. And to see these two go out and have like a real nice, it's a three-star match, but it's like a real nice three-star TV match that you're like, I enjoyed that wrestling match. Thumbs up. Do that more often. Shocker isn't broken by the TNA system yet. Mm. So he pins his dot with the top roll powerbomb. Then Daniels feigns who is on commentary naturally because this is his second role in this company. I hope they're giving him a second paycheck for the amount of commentary he does. (laughs) He's like he's getting one paycheck. What are you talking about? Fane going at it with Shocker. Fane getting in the ring, but then left. Uh, there was then a feature on Daniels versus Shocker on the Go Home Show, which did lead us to Hard Justice, in which Christopher Daniels faced Shocker. Shocker, which is a pretty good match. Shocker, I think, is the king of the pretty good match. He definitely has been a um, a welcomed mid-card addition to TNA. He is the classic high high floor, low ceiling. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. There you go. Where it's like, you will never get a bad Shocker match, but I don't think he has a great match in him. Yeah, definitely not till this point. But this is, uh, yeah, this is good. Mm. Shocker ran at Daniels to the floor where they were both standing on the apron. Daniels took like a bump just on the concrete. It looked unpleasant. <laughs> they then both missed dives before Shocker hit a dive. Daniels dive was a split like moonsault where he landed on his feet, which also looked unpleasant. Yeah, I was like, you're going to break yourself. Mm. They fired up for a big strike exchange. Shocker hit a front suplex, a gourd buster from the ropes for a near fall. Then Daniels finished Shocker with an angel's wings off the ropes. Which is the first time he's done that in TNA. Big time finish. Probably bigger than this match deserved. I guess they want to make it like established. I think I'd save my first middle rope angel's wings for like a, a match where people think I'm losing. As opposed to Shocker, where I don't think anybody thought he was losing. But it's a good match. Yeah. Then Daniels grabbed a microphone after the match and called himself the greatest X Division wrestler in the world. Do you disagree, Liam? Um, can I count AJ? Uh, no, he's heavyweight now. Can I count Samoa Joe? No, he's not here yet. Can I count Chris Saban? Yes. But I wouldn't. <gasps> that brings us to Chris Saban and Michael Shane to round things out. I mean, I was swerved. 
let's save it for the pay-per-view, but I was swerved. <laughs> Good swerved or bad swerved? Good swerved. Whoa. So the main event of the second impact of the pay-per-view cycle is a substantial Michael Shane versus Chris Saban match. Yeah, they give them some time and they have a pretty good match. Shocking. Not shocker. He was earlier. This match does have the special 30-minute time limit for reasons I don't quite know. I know, we forgot about 3LK family drama. That's what we're ending on now, I'm afraid. No! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Shane and, and Saban have a, a real good little TV match. Is it? They, they give them the 30-minute time limit, they go a full 15 of it, more or less. As mentioned, the story is that Trinity is now cozying up to Michael Shane to get at Tracy. But now Tracy is like... I'm kissy kissy with Chris Saban now. I know. Which which couple do you stand? <laughs> I like the way it's not just I'm managing Chris Saban. When Chris Saban and Tracy come out, she gives him a little kiss. He's like, oh, I have to bone him too. <laughs> it's because Trinity made it personal. Mm. She went after her ex-boyfriend. Not just her ex-manager. She now needs a boy? Yeah. She's got it's it's got a new it's taken a personal turn from what was originally business. Mm. Saban at one stage was dangling from the ropes to the outside and Shane hit a, a neat slingshot elbow. Thought that was a cool move. Uh, Shane kicked out of the future shock. Saban reversed the super kick into a side roll for the win. Then Shane dropped Saban with the super kick after the match. Trinity picked up Saban and then Shane super kicked him two more times. Tracy just kind of looked at them. She was like, oh. Uh-huh. Eventually dragged off Trinity and then Shane lined up a super kick on Tracy as we went off the air. <laughs> and it will never be followed up on. We will never know whether or not he super kicked him. I was like, okay, this is like a classic TNA end of the show. We're going to start the show next week off with what happened. Nope. <laughs> We're just never going to know. Yeah, the weird thing is, like, they didn't do, like, the announcer, oh, we're out of time kind of thing. The show just ended. (laughs) The show just stopped. They had an interaction in the gauntlet match as well. Saban started the match with his jaw taped up. So he had, like, tape around the bottom of his jaw and across the top of his head. Looked very weird. So Shane and Saban actually started the match and then they did a little sequence before the match continued. Mm. Tracy ran out, chased off Trinity as well. Of course, all leading to the greatest moment in Tina history. Yeah, the mixed tag team match, Michael Shane and Trinity defeated Chris Saban and Tracy after Tracy betrayed Chris Saban and <gasps> realigned herself with Michael Shane. I mean, it's perfect, isn't it? This whole time you're like, ah, oh, you know, these are like, it's on the, they're on the opposite sides of each other and blah, 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 blah. And then boom, she grows back and they're back together. And it's like, yes, come on. you, you. It's like a soap opera. Mm. The most disgusting part for me personally is before the match, Tracy still gave Saban the little kiss, knowing what was coming. The kiss of death. So Trinity hit Saban with Arana. Saban was then about to slap Trinity, but Tracy low-blowed Saban, her own tag team partner, and Don West just did not process what was happening whatsoever. He was very confused, and I was very confused. Because <laughs> he like he called it as if Tracy was just like, it, it makes sense that she'd low-blow Saban, and he was like, no, wait a minute, they're tag team partners. <laughs> Michael Shane then super kicked Trinity, and then Saban for the win. Tracy leaps into Michael Shane's arms as they celebrate yeah. their plan coming together. They're back together, baby. And I'm hooting and I'm hollering. I love these as like these two in their act together. I thought it was the best Michael Shane ever mm. looked was when he was part of, you know, Shazarian and Trinity. Not Trinity. And Tracy. I was, oh, it took a, I took a fucking beat so I would say Tracy and not <laughs> Trinity. I still fucked it up. Why do they get to have names that are so similar? Try and say Saban and Shane and Tracy and Trinity too much next to each other and your mind will explode. Saban and Shane and Tracy and Trinity. But when also trying to integrate who did what to who in wrestling match. Yes. Yeah. It's more identifying who. I mean, I'm obviously very ecstatic about this combination coming back together. I love them together. I think it's great. I was wondering if maybe the reason they didn't air it on TV is because he did Super Kicker and then they didn't want to show that on tv and then on pay-per-view they're like ah fuck mm. it just whale trinity with the super kick yeah i do wonder 
Yeah, because as we mentioned before, they air at four in the afternoon on FSN. So maybe a dude super kicking a woman is, is the kind of thing that the TV people are like, we probably wouldn't do that in general, which is the spike rule in the end. But also definitely not at four in the afternoon. <laughs> I do wonder, because there was that note in The Observer about how there's going to be turns and, and people broken up and put together. I do wonder is if this was the, the plan all along or this was the new booking team being like, what are we doing here? These two should just be together. Mm. Like they have so much natural chemistry together. Why not just mm. bring them back? But they're back. Michael Shane and Trinity. Damn it. <laughs> Michael Shane and Tracy are back together. Uh, Chris Saban and Trinity. It's not are, just are me. Left out alone. And Liam. It's the end of Trinity. Yeah. What? Yeah. Forever? Well, she comes back for a one night only. But this is the end of Trinity. Well, I guess we'll wait to do a. No, we, we agreed that one offs don't count for the Remember Whens. <laughs> I know, I know. So, I know. Liam, give me a Remember When for Trinity. Oh, God, now I have to remember when. Garrett, yes. as I googled Trinity to go to her Wikipedia. To remember all the things she did in TNA? Yeah. Hey Garrett, you, oh, this is this is the, the faith of Trinity, not the, not the wrestler. First of all, let's just start off with the mm. basics. Do you remember Divine that Storm? That was the Trinity introduction. Tell me all about Divine Storm and your memories of Trinity. I'm really actually kind of devastated that Trinity's gone. I thought she just kind of was always going to be there. So Divine Storm, they were Trinity's original act and then she abandoned them. They faced Easy Money and Sunny Siaki. Yeah, they were Trinity's original act, and then she abandoned them because she was a bigger star than the act was, and the act left, and she stayed around. Mm-hmm. It's also where she did the most cool shit, so thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Garrett Kidney, remember no. when Trinity and Kid Cash had a bit of a relationship? Yeah, they had that prolonged angle where they were uh, uh, together and in a relationship that did not mm-hmm. seem healthy, and it turned out it was a relationship that was not healthy. <laughs> remember the really uncomfortable mm-hmm. segments? Where he abused her. Garrett. Yeah. Do you remember when Trinity competed for the X Division yeah, Championship? Yeah, when she was like the weird mask X guy running around for a while in her little spider yeah. costume. Everyone's favorite yeah. moment of the Trinity TNA run. Garrett, do no, you remember? No, I don't remember... even want to talk about the NYC. I'm that, I got something before that. <laughs> Garrett, do you remember when Trinity turned heel by choking out Goldilocks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and aligning with Vince Russo. She was sex for a while. Yeah. She also had some matches with Alexis Lebrie. Yeah. That's not on this, but I thought that was her. I was like, why are we not doing the Alexis 3 thing? That was like her, like part of her intro. Apparently it turned into a shoot fight at one stage because Alexis 3 didn't like her. Nice. Garrett, do you remember the movie Electra? I've never seen it, actually. I don't think I have either. This is going to start a new, like, Patreon series where we watch wrestling people in movies. We really, we've already watched the Chris Rock movie. Yeah. $20 tier. Because <laughs> there's no way I'm doing it for anything less. Garrett, do you remember the New York Connection? Who could forget the NYC? Mm. I have. I want to. I'm, I'm asking you, who could forget? Who could help me with that? But before you do, please delve into the NYC for the people who are just tuning in for the first time. It was a bad stable that died. And then Trinity was like the star of it, like she is most of her acts. Which has always been the problem with Trinity, yeah. isn't it? She's been the star of all of her acts. She overshines everybody. Mm. Garrett. Kidney. Yeah. Do you, you yourself, me? Yep. remember when she fought Desire? No. <laughs> when she teamed up with Kid Cash? To fight Desire and Sunny Siaki? No. Ah, oh, well, that happened. Okay, I'll take your word for that it. That was her wrestling debut, where she debuted as Stephanie Trinity, apparently. Mm. I don't remember that. Didn't happen. <laughs> You're really reaching for Trinity moments here. <laughs> you remember when she did that moonsault? Off the cage? That was awesome. Yeah. That's fucking sick. It was a legit highlight reel moment. Yeah, do you remember when she had that, like, sneaky good match with Jacqueline? Yeah, it was like three minutes and they just threw bombs. Yeah, it was sick. Mm. Garrett, yeah. good do you remember when Trinity really wanted to fuck Dusty Rhodes? So did Tracy. He's a very fuckable man. <laughs> Can't deny it. They fought over him. Johnny Fairplay wanted some too. He's a very fuckable man. It's undeniable. Garrett, do you remember 
Trinity's team fight out of slam? I'd rather not. Just like the NYC. There is many Trinity things that were related to Trinity that I'd rather not remember. That's about it for Trinity. It turns out she does actually have a pre-take before it's anniversary, but <laughs> slightly jumped the gun. <laughs> well, Garrett, also, let's just let's take a moment to remember when she feuded with the Luchadors. Yeah. By appropriating culture. She is the Luchador. The masked Luchador. She was like Spider-Man or some shit. Yeah, that is it for Trinity, except she will have one pre-tape in the bill of anniversary. But other than that, that's it for Trinity. Yeah, do you remember the full-blooded Italians? Yeah, that wasn't NTI. Well, Tony Mama Luke was. After being released from WWE, she retired from professional wrestling in order to concentrate on her stunt work. Mm-hmm. On September 20th, 2008, she made a one-night return to wrestling under her own Stephanie Star ring name, where she lost a three-way match to Peggy Lee Leather that also involved fantasy. Sounds musty. On April 19th, 2012, she began competing in a roller derby as a member of the Strong Island Derby Revolution. Hell yeah. On March 17th, 2013, Trinity made her return to DNA at their one night only show, Knockouts Knockdown, which aired September 6th, 2013. At the pay-per-view, Trinity competed but was defeated by O.D. Bam! Garrett, do, do you remember Stuart Little 2? <laughs> no. Do you remember Trinity's stunt work on Stuart Little 2? Where we worked out that she was the stunt double for Stuart Little? Of course. Who else did she be the stunt double for? Who else is taking bumps in that movie? It's true. What's wonder what Trinity's up to. She's on Twitter. No. Well, obviously, that, that's a new, you've got to be kidding me, Hall of Fame candidate right there. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, to the Goldilocks Hall of Fame, Trinity. Leave it in the Hall of Fame! <laughs> All right, let's bring things home with the Tree LK family uh, drama. <laughs> hey, Gary, remember when BG James, Dave? <laughs> He's not gone for another four years. Damn it. The Outlaw on the first impact of the paper cycle, like April 29th, faced Mikey Bat. He won with the Missouri Boat Rider, or the one and only. Don't you call it that around me. Outlaw looked to attack Bats after the match, but Triel came. They made the save. Then Conan grabbed the mic from BG because they're beefing. He looks so little next to him. The Outlaw is the most giant man in this company. He is so big compared to everybody else. Uh, Conan grabbed the mic from BG and he got into the Outlaw's face and he said, I'm going to face you next week. Then BG and the Outlaw locked eyes as the Outlaw laughed, further suggesting there's very sensual something between them. Not Just the two of us. Nothing sexual. BG Aww. would not like that. Would daddy ass? Uh, probably. May 6th Impact. The Outlaw faced Conan. <laughs> probably. He's very suggestive as daddy ass. He likes to pick him. He loves to stick <laughs> Talk about this Outlaw versus Conan match. You'd like this match. Yeah, I was into it. And I liked that Conan threw the shoe at him. Mm. And the crowd all took their shoes off. I, I do appreciate everyone embracing the Conan shoe taunt. Shoe law. Mm. And then, like, <laughs> fucking Conan just got sconned and it was over. Yeah. The Outlaw just hit him in the head with a chair. It was a no contest. Rather than a DQ for some reason, even though he hit him with a chair. Conan instigated by throwing his shoe. I did like the touch that Killings was out first and then BG lagged a little later. He doesn't want to get involved. Then again, Outlaw looked at BG once again, started laughing as medical personnel attended to Conan and they replayed the chair shot. Trail K helped Conan to the back. How mean. And I was like, obviously this is leading up to a the Jaltlaw Conan match at the pay-per-view or the Jaltlaw versus Ron Killings in a singles. And I was like, ah, oh, no. If you watch them as they're helping Conan to the back, they make the mistake of actually approaching the ramp from the side slightly <laughs> instead of walking right up it. So you can see they hesitate a moment. It's funny. It popped. Then on the pay-per-view, you had a tag team match that was meant to be Diamond Dallas Page and BG James Bang. versus the Monty Brown and the Outlaw. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And that went awry. I found it very funny. They did an angle where DDP was backstage with Terry Taylor. He's like, I got this message from BG. He's having travel problems. He's going to be late on the same show where Jeff Hardy actually no-showed. Yeah. Whereas this one, it was at least meant to be an angle. I, I do like, again, the little story touch that BG approached DDP to be his partner instead of asking Ron Killings. Yeah. Well, because he doesn't trust 3OK. He doesn't want them in their business. Mm. DDP is like, he has travel issues. He asked me to be in this match and then he's not even here. Killings walks up and he's like, you said... You, you- Killings like, yeah, man, you can't trust that dude for yeah, shit my favorite part he walks up he's like you talking shit about bg and ddb's like yeah it's like well yeah i didn't even get a message <laughs> let me talk some shit about bg too killings then offers to be ddp's partner which leads us to the pay-per-view match of monty and the outlaw defeating ron killings and ddp Good stuff. ddp finally had his like full pyro like a proper pyro on his on the last his, night. His last night in the company so liam oh god diamond dallas page remember hey god do you remember i forgot what my even mm-hmm. thing was do you remember when ddp arrived yes. And Shane Douglas was like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, he diamond-cuttered Raven. Then Shane Douglas was like, give me the scoop. And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember when he feuded with Eric Watts? I'd rather, again, not. That feud that went nowhere about Raven and the wife and DDP was banging Eric Watts' wife, but he wasn't banging his Watts. Banging. Banging his Watts. <laughs> banging his Watts. Well, I guess technically the story He was, yeah. Garrett, do you remember Turning Point 2004 mm-hmm. where he wrestled Raven? Good little match. Probably the best match of their run, by Final the way. Final Resolution 2005. Oh, with the number contenders match. With DDP and Kevin Nash and Monty Brown had a three-way day. Where he was actually willing to put over Monty clean, unlike perhaps here, where we'll talk about in a moment. And do you remember, mm-hmm. as I scrolled through DDP's matches... How do you not remember them? There's like been like five of them. Yeah, do, do you, there was actually been ten. Really? That's double what you said. <laughs> do you remember when he had started teaming with Monty after that match? They were a fun little tag team. He hit a diamond cutter and Monty Do you remember when he like cut those happy. cool promos where the crowd finished his sentences? It's time! To bang. It's always time to bang. Do you remember when he had a bad world title match with Jeff Yeah, Jarrett? I blame Jeff. Garrett! Kidney. Do you remember when DDP diamond left? <laughs> yeah, that's right now. That's what we're talking about right here. Oh my god, let's talk about it. <laughs> so yeah, it like, his run's pretty good. Unlike Dustin, who I actively turned on, every time DDP's out there, it's like, oh yeah, he's gonna hit a diamond cutter and I'll be happy. <laughs> so I had that going for me. Yeah. Remember when he did that? Hey, Garrett, I got another one. Do you remember when DDP hit the RKO? Um, I don't like you. <laughs> I think I've worked out with the charm of the of the Do You Remember segment. Upsetting is. me? <laughs> yes, but also me not knowing when anyone leaves. Yeah. So then I have to do this off the top of my fucking head. On the fly, you have to remember what DDP did. Yeah, this is going to get real bad <laughs> later on. Especially with much longer runs. <laughs> when Chris Harris is gone and I'm like, oh, fuck. Remember when he wrestled? Remember when they were going to split up America's Most Wanted? Like four other times? Yeah. So Fidel to Slam ran in. He tried to take out DDP. DDP diamond cutter both of them. And then also the outlaw. But then ate a pounce for the win. And if you remember the watch along, I actively said, I wonder was DDP like, if I'm putting that guy over, I'm hitting a bunch of fucking diamond cutters before I do. And it turns out that is exactly the case. Which is fair. Page was booked to get pinned by Monty Brown's pounce in the match. He refused to do the job, which hardly went over well since he's largely seen as a star whose main role is to put over the younger guys and make them appear to be stars because of it. Taylor and Demore then negotiated where Page would get to use his diamond cutter on three guys. They literally brought in Fidel to slam just to get diamond cuttered by DDP, and then he also diamond cutted the outlaw before he would get pounced to do the job. And this is apparently what kind of soured people on Page, and it's like, alright, we can all go our separate ways at this stage. We're looking to make some cuts anyway. Yeah, he is probably one of the more expensive people on the show and i think they can get by perfectly fine without ddp i do think it's a shame that like after they did the monty turn you didn't even get the ddp match out of it yeah i think they would have had a pretty good match and ideally you would have wanted him to like actually put over monty brown in a singles based on that turn but at least he lost the monty here yeah 
Imagine how many people he would have had to have diamond cutted <laughs> in a Monty singles match. He would have had to have thrown out the whole X division at him. If you remember when he was wrestling Raven as well, which he did beat Raven, but also he's like, I'd like to diamond cutter a bunch of goons that Raven only had for that feud with DDP. It's, it's, does he have like a diamond cutter quota? I think he knows that it makes him look very cool. It does. It's a great move. I do enjoy it. It's the, like, if he didn't have the diamond cutter, I'd be like, DDP kind of stunk in TNA. Yeah, we all love the Arco. But he hit a bunch of diamond cutters. <laughs> and... <laughs> That pleases me. <laughs> yeah. So the important point there was that BG James, while he missed this match to Team Ron Killings, he was in the gauntlet for the gold later. And they were like, oh, he got there on time for his gauntlet match. Hmm. As you ask questions. I am asking questions. When did you do that in your AJ voice? I think it was more my Dixie mm, voice. They're the same voice. But it's all the same. And then BG and the Outlaw did their little thing in the gauntlet as well. That is your Trio K family drama for the month. And that is also Heart Justice 2005. We're done. Thank God. Is it only three impacts? Not a not a momentous show of TV, but a pretty... It's one of those months that went down easy. And it's just interesting to watch the first pay-per-view of a new regime. Especially like the interesting thing of how they like navigate the stories that Dusty set up. And how they start setting things up going forward. Which I think there's some interesting things going to Slammiversary. Which only has a two-week build, by the way. Because the FSN deal comes to an end, as we discussed in the next couple of weeks where could they go uh the internet for a while yeah. much like ring of honor are they a real tv show they do actually shoot it to be a real tv show so unlike some companies oh no i'm i'm doing a lewis dango bit three weeks behind <laughs> he will have tweeted 70 things in the meantime it will no longer be relevant or will it be more relevant oh my god so we will be back in about two weeks with the slammiversary 2005 episode we'll be back in a week with the next episode of gorilla radio follow us on twitter at t in a history pod follow me on twitter at garrett kidney follow liam on twitter at the gleet muta subscribe to us on patreon tnachat.com patreon.com slash kidding you can get so much more extra bonus content and you can hear the sound of our voice name them all i already did earlier in the show <laughs> do it again uh, rain takers ring king yep monday night wars yep. global force yep. wrestling wrestling yep. society x watch along reveal it for her yeah thing movie review one movie review gorilla radio one wrestlemania one wrestlemania watch along one multiple drafts multiple award shows oh we did it we did an, an AEW post show once oh yeah well it was just me but yeah oh no we, we no, the, no we yeah, I did, did i did one by myself and then one with you so they're also there somewhere yeah Go watch, go listen to that. I think I called AEW the greatest company of all time. Yeah, I think both much higher in AEW. I still think it's the best company going. But it's also, they're, they're, they had a moment there. Oh, I mean, listen, having CM Punk's in-ring debut, Adam Cole's debut, and Danielson's debut on one show kind of leads to a to a sense of fucking accomplishment. Yeah, and you're like, they can really go places from here, and they kind of haven't. But that's fine. They're still doing perfectly well. It's really cool how we're talking about this the week after CM Punk returned to AW. It will be funny how that works out. I'll edit it out anyway, because I won't edit it this until closer to the day. <laughs> oh, I don't want you to edit it out. Leave it in. Anything we've ever been wrong about, I remove, obviously, because uh, we've never been wrong, so I actually remove nothing. It's definitely going to be right, so I don't know what you're talking about. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got to Be Kidding Me. You can follow us on TikTok at TNA History. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Do the damn thing. Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Drangate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Drangate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.